follow me on Twitter at WWE Creative underscore ISH. Why underscore ISH? Because I used to be WWE underscore creative and got shut down by the WWE because people thought I was an authentic WWE account, which just goes to show you how bright some folks are. Wrestle Roast, we do a show. It comes out every Friday. It's myself, Mike Lawrence, Dan St. Germain, and Scott Chaplin. The three of them are incredibly talented professional comedians, and I am also there. We roast a wrestler. Starting in January, we're going to do every other week, we're going to do a roast. And then the, the other week, we're bringing back the 10 count, talking about top stories of the week. We also break down Dynamite every week. We talk about all kinds of other wacky nonsense. It's If you like this show, you're going to enjoy WrestleRoast. It's a hell of a lot of fun. We have a Patreon. It is the best Patreon deal in wrestling. We do a bonus roast. We do a show every single week. They made me watch Jingle All the Way 2, which I have to talk about this weekend. So I'm going to start questioning my my belief in anything. And yeah, the Pro Wrestling Tees store, uh, I've got some, some fun shirts on there. And The Pro Wrestling Ball. 35 short stories, including Harley Race, Ricky Morton, Tracy Smothers, and Tim Storm. Along with 300 photos from the independent scene, taken from Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. Get your book today by going to WrestleVille.com or LanceByChance.com. WrestleVille, it's where wrestling lives. Are you a fan of pro wrestling? comedy and combat sports then we have the podcast for you because we cover that and much much more do you like to debate with your friends do we have the perfect segment for you it's the 531 where we take any given subject break it down to a top five from there we debate it down to three and then into that number one spot if you want to get a hold of us find us on our social media search working fans podcast on any major social media platform And if you want to find the podcast, search for us on any major podcast platform, as well as YouTube. Working Fans Podcast. We put in the work so you don't have to. All right, everybody. It's the Working Fans Podcast. We're going to have a little year-end edition talk here. And as you notice, the last few weeks, we've been picking, like, storyline of the year, matches of the year, male wrestler of the year, female wrestler of the year. So, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that stuff, but not hang on too much because we've already kind of done that we also well i think it's important that we also thank them because it's clear that they have found us to be the podcast of the year so thank you guys for tuning in and we appreciate your the people's podcast the people's podcast <laughs> of the year. it's a ground it's a ground movement it's big swelling up get to get to it hold on a second i got a cough aj wrestler of the year we picked roman reigns roman uh, reigns yes his was, transformation uh, into a heel adding paul Heyman to the mix the way he's really come into his own with this heel turn uh, he's, he's been absolutely fantastic all year big matches all year yeah and now yeah. I know we love we both loved kenny kenny was right there for us we thought last year he had a better year this year he had a great year but eventually he did drop the belt he was injured you, you, you can't be wrestler of the year every year kenny i'm sorry it just can't happen you can't have it every year so Actually, we shouldn't say wrestle of the year, male performer of the year. Yes, because you were saying off air to me a little bit too, that if it was just wrestler of the year, your vote is who we picked for a woman wrestler of the year, Britt Baker. Yes, Britt Baker. I believe that Britt Baker had the bigger year. I think she came a lot farther along. I think her character has come a lot farther along. Some would even say she's a pillar of the AEW. She and she had the match of the year, in our opinion, this year, her and Thunder Rosa. So how can you have match of the year, be women of the year, and not be the wrestler of the year? And I will say this too with Britt. I mean, Roman, yes, he's doing great with SmackDown, but it's WWE, it's the men's division. 
Kenny, belt collector, phenomenal. But Britt basically elevated the AEW women's division. Absolutely. And, you know, she likes to say that as a heel, but it's also kind of a shoot. Like she, she really did. She has made any segment that she's on, whether it's Rampage, whether it's on Elevation, whether it's on Dynamite, she has made any segment that she's on must see TV. And I'm not it, just to steal a line from the other pillar of the Miz. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> the Miz. That might be line of the year by Punk there. Yeah. Less famous Miz. <laughs> that is awesome. I mean, that was probably the promo exchange of the year, right? MJF and... Uh, it's definitely one of them. I think that, that was fantastic. I'll be honest with you. A lot of what we've seen from Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns when Brock has come back has also been very good exchanges. Throwing Paul Heyman in there also, making Paul Heyman feel uncomfortable with Brock. Did, did you say that, Paul? Is that something you would say, Paul? Brock's Why would you? Really I, I wouldn't put him on this, but Brock has been surprisingly good in this role. Like I know I, Brock had that line. This was before they had wrestled on whatever the pay-per-view was. Maybe it was the, the Saudi show where yeah. Brock signs the contract. And Roman, yeah, smug. He's just going to sign it, huh? He's just a dumbass. He's just a regular old farm boy. And Brock just looks like that. He just laughs. He goes, I already signed it with my advocate, Paul Heyman. And the look on Roman's face, it's just so perfect. He's so good at this. His his work with Sami Zayn uh, a couple weeks ago was fantastic. Absolutely incredible. That's uh, Who knew he had this personality the whole time? Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. But MJF and Punk definitely did some bombs. Absolutely. Yeah, MJF with the shot at his UFC career. (laughs) You know, Punk calling him Miz. Yeah, so much good stuff. so obviously we're recording this after they were in Long Island mm-hmm. and CM Punk was great in the ring once again with his mic work talking about him in, Rhode I- in Long Island. He went full-blown heel on the Long Island crowd yeah. and it was fantastic. That's some good stuff. Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson. I want to talk about him a little bit. He's a guy that... Comeback of the year? Sure. I mean... I mean, either one of them, year. him or CM Punk could be comeback of the year. No, Punk for sure. Because yeah. Danielson was here for part of the Yeah, year. he was wrestling, but he was being relegated to crap. You know what's so funny? Well, I mean, he was making, I mean, he had some great matches, though, even on his way out. Yeah. But I mean, here's the funny thing about Danielson. Like, he was already so good, but I feel like he could almost be most improved wrestler of the year. Yeah. Because he's his just heel on t- level. It's amazing. His heel turn is so good. The way he stops, he literally is kicking people's heads in. Hmm. I honestly, like, I know he says it, but to me right now, he is the best wrestler in the world. Tell me you didn't feel bad for the guys who he was stomping on, like Johnny Hungy and stuff like that. He's literally making you worry for the people he's in the ring with. Is he really hurting them? Is, is he really stomping their heads in? Uh, he's, he's doing with the old formula of you might not, not think that wrestling's real, but you're going to believe my shit's real. Yeah, no, no, no. He's he's tremendous. You know, it's funny. Uh, just we talked about this on our last episode and recorded it around the same time about Mustache Mountain, Trent Seven, and Tyra Bate, and something in that match. And I was thinking about this. Like we didn't talk about sellers of this year. We don't talk about selling anymore. But this last dynamite, Riho, just a simple match with Jamie. Oh, Rio is a tremendous seller. She's yeah. very small and she's really good at getting the crowd to like believe that she's Absolutely. in danger. She sells it and. Before she retired, Kyrie Sane was like that as well. And Trent, yeah. Trent Seven in that match, if Great you go look at it, he's like sounded like he's like dying, like he's an act. He's screaming as he kicks out, like you know. And it's just so it's the old so person, good. the person that I think back to, and this is somebody who I think it ended up hurting their career because they were that good of a worker and that good of a seller. Was when I was a kid, there was a guy named Mister Perfect, Kurt Henning. 
Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of the kids don't remember him anymore, but you should go back, check him out. Hell of a wrestler. He would sell his ass off and he made people look even better than they were. His matches, I think he's one of the reasons why Brett got over the way Brett did was the way that Mr. Perfect sold for him. And they were kind of a match. This, yeah, Brad was a tremendous guy in general. Yeah, uh, Perfect was quite a bump taker in particular. His bumps Nobody, were just insane. Yeah. He would flip through the air. Another person who is good and underrated, I think, is Dustin Rhodes. Dustin yeah. Rhodes is actually a hell of a salesman in the mat in the ring, and he was one of the first people I saw. And he's this guy's six foot six, mm-hmm. and I would see him take a clothesline and do that flip through the clothesline, and it was just such a thing to see. It's just absolutely when you sell properly in a match a la ricky morton and you get the crowd behind you and you draw them in that's when you've done something and that's when you make an emotional connection and that's when people really love wrestling G- oh diy gargano right. gargano oh, yeah. and champa yeah i mean yeah. you talk gargano about two- like Chachapa yeah. is great but gargano is quite the sell they they used the formula that the rock and roll express has used Gargano would go in there and sell like Ricky Morton, sell, 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 and then Ciampa was Robert Gibson. So this is like a year-end show. We're kind of just rifting here a little bit. I But we're talking about some stuff that we enjoyed this year. I want to talk – one thing we did not do in these 5-3-1s leading up to this, we did not talk about a tag team of the year. No. And we were talking about this. Like, That's both of us the, love FTR, but they But there weren't have- a lot of great tag teams. If we did a 5-3-1, we would literally come down to FDR, maybe the Briscoes, Lucha Brothers, and FTR. And the Bucks. Uh, yeah, maybe the Bucks. But yeah. I don't think either one of us are huge Bucks fans, so good yeah. luck making the top three. I think, I think <laughs> we get a lot of support. Our audience seems to love tag team wrestling right now. But, yeah, I know what you mean. For me personally... My taste, FTR is like my all-time favorite tag. To be honest with you, one of the teams that I like doesn't get much play because one of them was injured. I like the Butcher and the Blade. I, I think they're actually a very good old-fashioned team. I like what they do in the ring. I like their style of wrestling. It, it, it's good stuff. Trent and Chuck, I think, is one of your favorite. Trent and Chuck. Unfortunately, Trent spent most of the year injured, being out most of the year with back surgery. But I think the best friends are fantastic when they work in there. And right. Trent, you talk about somebody who can work in the ring. I mean, Trent's about as good as you get. So, I mean, tag me, I think, even though maybe we're not the biggest fans, I think we'd have to say it probably was the Bucks this year, though. Yeah. Well, they held the titles for freaking 90% of the year. And they had the matches to kind of dominate. Matches to go along with it. Everybody loves the Lucha Brothers match with them. It's not my cup of tea, but I do have an appreciation for it and uh, what they put into it. And unfortunately, I do think that they have to be tag team of the year. Yeah, not only that, I mean, it's funny, but like AEW kind of really runs away with this, don't they? Like They um, run away with a lot of the stuff because they just put on a better program overall. AEW was the hands-down promotion of the year, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Between just just between you and I, nobody else will hear this. <laughs> do you other than Roman Reigns on SmackDown, do you think that anything else even came close during the year of making you want to watch it as much as AEW? No. There's it's there's a couple things I liked here and there i but it's the funny it's not okay so it's the funny thing is like it's roman on smackdown i enjoyed the stuff with big e towards the end of the year yeah. but that wasn't the whole year we finally cashed in and got the title and then edge had his moments here and there but edge wasn't on all the time either so, so when i pick a promotion of the year what i think of to myself is which one if i had a choice right. which one would i watch if you put literally the best oh, yeah. of the year head to head and I had to choose which one am I going to watch, and to me, that's who was the promotion of the year. Yeah, it was AEW. 
and a and it wasn't even close aw and to be honest with you some of the stuff they did an impact with josh alexander to be honest with you was more captivating than what they did in the wwe to me yeah, MLW so, has had some good MLW, stuff. MLW, NWA, when they're NWA, running, has some NWA captivating power. stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, well, so, NWA, the last few shows and the papers, like, they've really been catching on. I really have enjoyed Trevor Murdoch's reign so far. Absolutely. Yeah, I was happy he won the belt, but I was like, okay, but now let's just get it off him. But no, like, I've actually enjoyed his reign. Like, as a Trevor big- Murdoch has given you something that not every champion gives you. Champions are entertaining when you think anything can happen. If at any given moment you think that that champion can lose the belt, how many nights do we go into matches now where we think Roman Reigns might actually lose the title? Right. Yeah. No, because we feel like we're being set up for a bigger storyline at some point. Yeah. Exactly. But you don't but go into any. It's been like, okay, Roman's not losing this one. Yet. Yeah. The matches have been good. Don't get me wrong. But how often do you go into there thinking Roman's going to lose the belt? Yeah. No, no, I haven't. Yeah. yeah. Where, where it's, and to be honest with you, Omega ran into that a few times, but he did have times where you thought this guy might take the belt. Right. Right. And, no, no, definitely. Yeah. There is something about a vulnerable champion. Like Hogan was this monster champion and he had a great run as a baby face and all that too. But after a while, I think unless you're a kid and you're a sophisticated fan, there is something about the chase. That was the problem with Cena. He wasn't vulnerable enough. I think when you look at great champions for me that I really enjoyed, it's Ric Flair, it's Shawn Michaels, it's Bret Hart. Guys, I think, that might lose the belt. At any and level. and what did all three of them have in common? All three of them could sell their ass off right for whoever right. they were working yeah. with. And yeah. while Hogan knew how to sell to a big guy, we always believed he was coming back. We always believed he was going to Hulk up. It was over. Whereas Flair literally had times where he's just bleeding everywhere. Same thing with Michaels and with Bret Hart. They're bleeding everywhere. They're getting their ass kicked. Oh my God, this is the time. We're going to have to see Sid Vicious as champion again. <laughs> I like Psycho Sid. <laughs> I miss you, Psycho Sid. Hey, I miss him because we were supposed to have interviews with him like 12 times. Let's talk about... Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's coming around. Hey, so, so we've obviously discussed. Uh, so let's pick some things we haven't. Tag team of the year we said was the Bucks. Yep. Who would we put down for like maybe a most improved wrestler? Is it most is improved it, wrestler? Brian Danielson, just because he's just even I mean, though he was it, could, good. it could be, but I can think of somebody else off the top of my head right away who just wrestled this week, who I've seen improvement from over and over and over again. Okay, I think Liv Morgan has made steps in the right direction where she is a different wrestler now than she was last year. And if you saw that crowd reaction and you saw how the crowd was behind her for that match, that she might be your most improved wrestler of the year. Last year was Britt Baker, hands down. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a, absolutely. Wrestler of the year. So I'm not gonna... <laughs> I mean, hell, most improved wrestler. You could make it freaking Trevor Murdoch for Christ's sake. He's got the NWA championship. You whereas last year we thought he was. Yeah, last year we thought he was going to be retired. He could be comeback of the year too. I know. Well, you know who's not quite comeback of the year? Question mark. So that's that's low. That's low. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> Matt Cardona. Who would I be comeback? Oh, he could be a comeback of the year. Jesus. Yeah. 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 I'm going How to about Nick Gage? Nick Gage? Well, Nick Gage, yeah, he's been on fire with GCW and everything like that, too. Let's pick a couple things. Let's go. Come back in here. I'll go Cardona then. I think he had, you know, just an awesome. I'll go with Cardona. I do believe Liv Morgan is in the conversation, but I'll go with Matt Cardona. Mm-hmm. I think Joe would probably argue GCW is the promotion of the year. I know we're going to pick AEW, but but I know. Just, uh, okay, I know. here's what I'll give GCW. I'm not going to give him promotion of the year because I don't think that they're on the level but of AEW. Promotion of the year? And I was going to say, independent promotion of the year or most improved promotion of the year. 
since they've grown so much over the year, sure. we can actually put them in that conversation. Most improved promotion of the year. Uh, best growth of the year. But yeah. once again, with what AEW has done, they've continued to grow also. Right. So it, it, it's tough to say. Yeah. And obviously, like we said, another episode, we thought Baker and Rosa was match of the year. Definitely Brian Danielson and Omega was really close. <sighs> that was the most exciting. Like, draw. Flip, flip, a, flip a coin. Yeah. Tag team, we said, we said we thought it was the Bucks. Yeah. You know, we said on the last episode, storyline was Hangman Page. Let's just get right to... Uh, how, how about biggest fuck-up of the year when it comes to the cuts of the WWE? Okay, yeah. All right. So before let's, we're going to talk about... That's great, Seth. Let's just tackle that first because what I want to talk about is some stuff we want to see in the future and maybe some people. Let's talk yeah, about... Yeah, I think... I Well, that's just it. The fuck-ups and the cuts that the WWE made this year are things that could lead into those things we want to see for the future, so... Right. Like, there might be some positive out of that. But, exactly. yeah, it's interesting, like, man, like, with WWE, with the cuts... And just their inability to push people that a lot of people, all of us that are wrestling fans feel are stars. It does make you wonder like where the business is going to be. And I'm not saying that in a downer, like, oh, the business. It makes me wonder where it's going to be, though. Is someone going to buy WWE down the line? Is AEW just going to take over as the top spot eventually? Or, you know. I don't know if they can take over the top spot just because of the deals that are in place with the WWE. Even though they're not doing what we would like them to do, unfortunately, they're still bringing in billions of dollars. Yeah. So so that's hard to overcome. (laughs) Um, However, their product is, to me, is becoming less watchable. Right. And it's becoming more... I think their fans are going to stick with them no matter what. Because and when I NXT from us. Like, yeah, NXT was, like, something we could still look Took for. away NXT. They took NXT like it was old Yeller, brought <laughs> it behind the barn, and shot it in the fucking head. Yeah. They didn't take it away. They killed it. Yeah. The, there's one... What is there? Two people left that were the heart and soul of that? Ciampa and Pete Dunn? Oh, I'm sorry. Also, uh, Roderick Strong. But other than that, <laughs> uh, other than those three, who yeah. do you have left? Yeah. Kyle, they look like they were going to build Kyle Kyle O'Reilly up after his feud with Adam Page. He, he did great in that feud. They were building him up. Next thing you know, here's cool Kyle, and he's hanging out with Big Forehead McGee and having the crappy-ass tag matches. It's just horrible. Yeah, I don't see Kyle coming back to WWE. Now, we don't know, as we're taping this, Kyle could have showed up somewhere already. So we'll make some predictions. We'll start off with those two, because they're to talk. And it'll be interesting by the time this airs, which I think is going to be like New Year's Eve, if any of these people have already showed up. All right, where we'd like to maybe see them and some talent we're hoping to see. Keith Lee. Keith Lee, I think we're going to see an AEW. I, I I think I think that that's where we're going to see him. You could see him in Impact, something of that nature. He would definitely match up well in there. They do they do have some big guys in there, but I think we're going to see him in AEW. Okay. What about Killer Cross? Killer Cross, I think we're going to see stay independent longer. Mm-hmm. I don't actually think he's going to show up directly in one right away. Before he came to the WWE, he was doing really well on the independents working. Yeah. with his freedom and having an opportunity to work places like Jesus. He didn't have a good run and impact. He did not. He did not, he did not enjoy his stay there. So No, I, I, and I don't look for him to go back there. I However, I could see him doing a lot of work in GCW and MLW. MLW, GCW. I could see him something if Japan's borders open up. I Absolutely. To go there. Bray Wyatt, I think this is a guy you've already said you hope it shows up in the AEW at some point. I think at some point, unless you're going to just kill the Dark Order, you mm-hmm. have to give them Bray Wyatt. Now, Winter is Coming is not aired as if when me and you are recording this. It has not. 
Do you think we could see Bray Wyatt on that? Last year was Sting. Sting right? Yeah, last year, they tried to do something big at Winter is Coming. I think that Bray Wyatt is the surprise that I'm hoping it's not Braun Strowman. <laughs> Although it could I, be Bray and Braun. I don't even have Braun on my list of people I was going to ask you about. <laughs> there might be somebody on that list that you're not going to ask me about that might need to be on that list. That's Jeff fine. Hardy. We'll talk about Jeff in a bit. Yeah. All right, let's go with Kyle O'Reilly. I think we both think he's going to end up in AEW. I think there's already a ready-made storyline there. He's going to be with Bobby Fish and Adam Cole and maybe maybe against Adam Cole and the Bucks or something. But I feel I mean, like he could be. But mm-hmm. why would he but he put up the undisputed error sign before <laughs> at the end of the pay-per-view? Well, I think I could see something where Fish has kind of been left for dead a couple times too, where maybe the Bucks and Cole leave him for dead and then O'Reilly comes to save Fish. And O'Reilly. I'll tell you what, if he does join them up, FTR has got themselves some competition for tag team. Oh, man. And even like, even the Bucks, even though like, they're not a star favorite, like the Red Dragon, like O'Reilly and Bobby Fish versus the Bucks. And then, yeah, FTR on top of that. Oh, yeah, that, that's that swings everything in t- tag team competition. It won't even be close to which. Um, was close uh, anyway. now it's I mean, be- it's not close to begin with who's got the best tag teams, but this would just completely annihilate them. And Kyle, uh, Carl, uh, sorry, Johnny Wrestling. Well, we talked about this off there. I think Johnny's going to take some time off. Well, he's about I, to have a baby, so he's probably yeah. going to take some time off, have the baby. Well, I, to be honest with you, that's the best thing that can actually happen to him is him taking time off with the baby because it'll give him a chance for all the chips to fall and then for him to come out and be a big splash. So, yeah, and I, I think... People are going to go nuts when they see Johnny. He's going to either... Me, he's either end up in AEW or he's going to take a backstage role. I don't... Ooh. I don't you think, think he's done wrestling. I wouldn't, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, like, the way they, he, you know, with everybody at the pitchers at the end or chomping or that, like, if he doesn't go to AEW, like, I don't think he's going to, like, he's not sticking around that, that version of NXT. No, I, I, I don't think Johnny can stop wrestling. But I could see him being as a, like, a coach. I think he probably would love that. No, I'm sure he would someday. I just can't see him stopping. No, I just don't think it's time. I don't either. I don't yeah. either. But I mean, uh, he comes to AEW. That place is going to blow the freaking roof well, off. I will. I'll play a little devil's advocate, though. You're Johnny Gargano. You grew up a huge, huge fan of Shawn Michaels, and now you're backstage working with Shawn Michaels. You just had this incredible NXT run. It's not a bad gig. It's safe. You yeah, have it's a not kid. a bad gig, but uh, I know just, you're looking at it from the fan. Like we don't want this motherfucker to stop. No, 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 I'm not looking at it from the fans. I'm looking at it from a competitor standpoint. I don't think that Johnny Gargano can actually take the tights off yet. That guy puts on the best matches every freaking night. How, yeah. how do you just take the boots off and leave them in the ring when you're still that good? I mean, we don't know. We don't know what the man's going through. You know, you never know. I, I, can, I can think of 20 guys off the top of my head that should retire. <laughs> I do think Johnny wrestling. All right. I, I think he does end up in AEW at some point, too. I personally hope Ciampa does at some point, too, whenever his contract's up. And I hope we got Ciampa and Gargano versus FDR again. Oh, God. Kyle O'Reilly. And, I mean, basically the best of NXT in AEW. <laughs> hey. They would be able to do an actual all-tag team pay-per-view. I don't want to go too hard. <laughs> I'm going to start off. You mentioned Jeff Hardy. I want to talk about Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy, I wish him nothing but the best first off. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, anybody, like, I want people to understand, and I don't know if anybody's doing this, you can't blame WWE on this one. 
They've given this guy so many chances. So I want to ask you, have you, follow, have you seen the Twitter feed? Nothing recently. I have not. So you've had a lot of people come out in support of Jeff Hardy from the WWE saying, you know, Jeff, we love you. Thank yeah. you for everything you've done. Jeff I Hardy's Mustafa Ali had a thing where he talked about wrestling Jeff on main event. And he said, I figured he'd take it easy. And Jeff said, nah, man, let's go all out. I've been looking forward to this match. So. Jeff Hardy's wife came out on Twitter and said, we are actually really good. Everything is going well, but thank you anyways. Yeah. Well, I mean, they probably don't want to talk about this either, too. I know Reba Hardy had said something about don't at me today. You know, I think there's a big thing where there's probably right now the holidays and stuff like this. Yeah. And this has happened before. They tried to send Jeff to rehab before and Jeff's refused and got let go. And so. He said, no, no, no. I did not say that. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess he might have. We don't know. <laughs> I don't think he sang it. But He's musical. But, I mean, Jeff's got a lot of chances. I mean, he got a lot of chances in Impact Wrestling back in the day. He's had he a million chances. Yeah. You know? That's, uh, I don't get me wrong. I wish nothing but the best for Jeff right. Hardy. I hope everything works out for him. I, I hope that the demons aren't as bad as people are making them out to be right now. But I can tell you this by what I've seen for the last year. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who has worked his ass off, has done the job for how many people, including having to pose for selfies and stuff after getting <laughs> losses. Maybe he's just fed up and maybe the, his storylines with the WWE just drove him to drink this time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I want to get fired. Maybe I just need to show up messed this, up. This, this poor guy's giving what's left of his body and being put in trash after trash. He was getting the biggest pops again recently, and it actually looked like they were actually going to push him again. Though I don't think they were going to put him over Roman, but it looked like they might have you know, done something with him there. But I can tell you this. Whenever he gets together with his brother, usually they put some good shit together. They do. So do. Does Jeff Hardy go to AEW at some point? I think he does. Well, here's an ironic thing. Matt Hardy put out something last week where he said, I've got to go back to being me. That seems to be what people really connect with. Interesting. So... So that's a little something too. Yeah. Anything else you're looking forward to this year? Actually, I don't. We're going to do this with MMA. I'll we'll finish off with this. Who's going to be champion at the end of the year? All right, I'll do this just a end of next year. Yeah. So we're just going to guess because yeah, the end of this year, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Cowboy Page and Roman Reigns. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but wait a minute. When is a winter coming? Is that this well, Wednesday no, coming up? It is this year. So, yeah. it so maybe winter. not. But, about. but so at the end of 20, 2022. We'll just make a prediction. Who's going to be AEW world champion? MJF. I like it. And for WWE SmackDown, will it still be Roman? SmackDown. Whew. I don't see them elevating anybody else right now, so we'll go with Roman Reigns. I think I think Roman's going to hold it on to the fall in WrestleMania out in California. I think that's where yeah. Rock is going to come out. Yeah. So another year, folks. WWE Raw champion. Probably not going to be Big E the whole year. I would imagine not. They could go back to Lashley, could go in a million different directions. There's nobody on that roster that really isn't sticks it, out. Isn't it funny where we talked about where it's almost like you like having like a vulnerable champion, anything can happen, but WWE's done such a poor job with that. We just don't know who's ready to take the belt. Well, that's yeah. the problem is they haven't developed anybody. I don't feel comfortable saying this person's going to make a big run. You know what? Randy Orton. Randy Orton will be... WWE I think world. Randy Orton's got one more run in him, and I think I mean, he kills me right now with the stuff he's doing with Riddle. What about Austin Theory? Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> I like Austin Theory will eventually be in the talk and in the conversation. Mm -hmm. He's got great skills in the ring. He's got great personality. Could be Seth he, Rollins, and, and you know Vince likes him because he put him in there. Seth Rollins could be also. 
Yeah. He's obviously got runs still left in the tank, but. Women's champion. Let's start off. Let's work our way to AEW. Let's start off with Raw. <sighs> Raw. Mm. Hard to say. So Becky is now. I think Belair will probably get it at some point. Yeah, Belair will at some point this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if Becky's champion again next year at this time. Yeah, I agree. SmackDown, Charlotte's got it. God, who's your competition right now? Sasha Banks. Yeah, yeah, Banks. So Yeah, yeah you know what? I'm going to go out there, though, and pick Charlotte again next year. Okay, are you all do? I'll just be different. I'll go Bailey. I'll say especially Bailey. now that she's broken up with Andrade. There's nothing to pull her away from the WWE. I'll say Bailey does that. Bailey, we haven't yeah. even seen Bailey. That's why I'm going to put a surprise. Woo-hoo. Women's champion. I think she's going to lose it this year, but my guess is she'll get it back at some point. I Britt do Baker. too. I think she's going to end up losing the belt, but I think Britt Baker will be champion again before the end of next year. So I do too. And surprise. Although I do think Thunder Rosa will hold the belt at some point to the next year also. Let's pick a wild surprise, and I'm not talking about anybody that's been cut. Let's just say, like, maybe somebody out there that... Who you think will end up in a Yeah. I'm going to go Ronda Rousey. It's possible. Our kid's going to be, like, a year old at that point. Yeah. I think the biggest surprise next year will be when The Rock returns to start building for WrestleMania the following year. Mm. I'm looking for The Rock around Survivor Series that. next year. I like it. I, like I, it. I, I think around Survivor Series next year, we're going to see The Rock. I like it. All right. On that note, if you smell what we're cooking, this is the Working Fans Podcast, where we do the work so you don't have to. (laughs) Fans, welcome back for another edition of the Working Fans Podcast, the big year-end edition. We're recording this a little ahead of time, but this will be our last episode of the year. And we are joined by at WWE Creative underscore ish on Twitter. It's the longest-running parody action-adventure programming parody account on Twitter. Patreon.com slash WrestleRose and ProWrestlingTees.com slash Creative underscore Ish. We are joined by the great Robert Karpolis. Robert, how are you doing today? That's the best intro I think I've ever gotten on a podcast, so that was awesome. I really try and go in on these intros, and with Mike Lawrence, I was a fan of his comedy before going in. So when I fucked up his Twitter, I was like, Jesus Christ, I thought I covered all these bases because we're happy when anyone wants to join us especially other people that do podcasts so it's nice to to be be fair to be fair mike did have a a twitter and i didn't realize that it vanished because i i followed him i was a fan of mike's long before i ever i had him on my show as a guest years ago and then we brought him in a wrestle roast so i thought he was on twitter for a while and we were talking about twitter and he was like i can't do a good mike impression he's like yeah i deleted my twitter and I was like, oh, he's like, you didn't notice? I'm like, no. So, you know. You weren't that active on it before, so we didn't realize when you were gone. <laughs> exactly. He's on Instagram. That's what the kids are on. Yeah, we've actually been trying to keep up with those new social media platforms. We just got on TikTok. And as adult males, I'm embarrassed for myself <laughs> that we have to go to that level. But it's weird because as a podcast, you want to get yourself out there as broadly as possible. But sure, I, I mean, you're, like you're on a watch list now. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, like, I feel like it's like working fans podcast slash Jerry Lawler. Watch out for these accounts. I, I hope Lawler's on TikTok. 
I know, but it's going to be sadder when he calls for puppies there because you know he just doesn't want them to be old enough to be dogs. I I love the fact that when they were in Memphis a few weeks ago, they had to do the bit on Raw where a female fan was so excited to see Jerry Lawler in the back. Right. If you want to know how much clout Lawler still has in 2021, that's all you need to know. Uh, Nobody's allowed to be over in WWE except for Jerry the King Lawler. Yeah, he's the only one that gets it nice in his hometown, except when they're supposed to come out to vote for him. Well, that problem with that is that not everybody in Memphis is a wrestling fan. There's a few people who have cracked a book. And when you look into Lawler's history, (laughs) it's not great. No, especially the stuff he shares. Like, forget, like, what comes out of his mouth. Just look at sometimes what he shares on Instagram. And it almost gives you a deeper insight into the inner creepiness. Well, there's also the problem of when you run in a city like Memphis, chances are Lawler has slept with your wife or daughter. So you're not going to want to go support that guy. Oh, 100%. Were you always a wrestling fan or what kind of brought you into it? I was always a wrestling fan. I got brought in as a little kid, the Hogan era, the rock and wrestling, the, the cartoon on Saturday mornings. I was a comic book guy and it was to see these, to, to see these guys come to life. It was, it was mind blowing. It was, you know, an era before there were Marvel movies or any of that stuff. And you see someone like Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage, and they're so much larger than life that it's like watching a cartoon come to existence. And when you think that it's real and you're living and dying by everything that's happening when you're a kid, it's the best. And they they get your hooks in you and then you want the toys and you want the lunchbox and you want the pajamas and the Halloween costume. And and you're you're stuck for the rest of your life. It's it's a really smart marketing strategy. Yeah, that's why WWE is almost the ultimate abusive relationship, because it's like they they had your trust once upon a time. And every once in a while, it's almost like they give you enough to really want to buy back in. And then they do some goofy shit where you're like, oh, why do I watch this? And then it's like Kevin Owens resigns. So you're like, I'm back in. And then he's going to be like Bobby Lashley's manservant in like two months. But that's the beauty of being a wrestling fan. It's like we all suffer together. And depending on how long you've been a wrestling fan, you've suffered for years or decades. I always find the hallmark of it. It's like liking an indie band is the best way I can describe it, where, you know, I liked them first. You know, when, when none of my friends were wrestling fans growing up and then the NWO hit and Stone Cold hit and DX hit and everyone is wearing the shirts at school. I'm like, where were you guys when it was Crush and Savio Vega? Like, how yeah. dare you? We had to pretend like Doink was all right when he brought along Dink and then the three other midgets were like, no, this is great. Exactly. We suffered through the post-Hogan on steroids WWF when he had spaghetti arms and a Japanese photographer camera blew up in his face Mm -hmm. and slogged through years of watching, you know, Mania with Todd Pettengill where you were just, you were excited to see Aldo Montoya because, damn it, that was a star. You know, he had pyro that spun. thousand percent. Robert, I'm curious. Because I kind of grew up in that golden era, too, a little bit, with the Hogan era first in the 80s. And I remember thinking, too, in the 90s, too, like, okay, people are starting to quote this shit again. Like, this is interesting. But I remember, like, the first time I I started on WWF, but I found, like, AWA and then them Crockett and stuff. What was some of the other promotions you discovered? And was your mind kind of blown? Like, hey, there's other wrestling promotions out here? Oh, that always confused me because I knew there was WWF. It was kind of like synonymous. It's like, if you get a cut, you get a bandaid, you don't get a bandage. 
if you're if you're going to watch wrestling, you're not watching wrestling. You're watching WWF. You know, growing up, I, I was I was born up in New York, so that was that was WWF territory. And I moved down to Florida, and you got WCW, which aired at like six o'clock in the morning on a local station, and it was mind blowing because you kind of recognized some of these guys that used to be in WWF, and then you saw some of these other talents. Like I remember seeing Cactus Jack for the first time, and him fighting Van Hammer in a on a dude ranch. And I'm like, what is this? How is this real? And then I consumed anything that there was. I I used to love on ESPN. First, you had a little bit of AWA. And then when that transitioned and it was global and global was they treated it like it was something that was real. And I thought it was a real major promotion until I found out, you know, they're essentially wrestling in a in a barn in the middle of Texas. And I would see all these guys and then they would transition to WWF and WCW. And I'm like, hey, there's the lightning kid and the handsome stranger instead of the one, two, three kid and Buff Bagwell. It was, it was strange to realize what else there was. And then I think it was if you were a fan in the early eighties, you aged perfectly with wrestling because it was right around the early nineties when ECW was accessible. And when it felt like WWF wasn't necessarily catering to you, you had an alternative to keep you hooked. And it felt decidedly different. It felt exciting. And it felt like, is this something I should be watching? It's airing at like one o'clock in the morning. And sometimes it's on and sometimes it's not. It's a pre, you know, wide internet, you know, had everyone had, you know, America Online or Prodigy or something where it was dial up. But to, to get some of this content and be able to watch it, you had things that scratched various itches of your fandom. I was always going to be loyal to WWF, but it was cool to see what else there was out there. Did somebody get you into wrestling? Like for me, it was my brother. He fell out of it. I never did. My mom would occasionally watch it. Like my dad was kind of in and out. But like, was there anybody that got you really into it too? No, this was one of those things I think my parents really hoped I was going to outgrow. It was like, are you sure you don't want to like, you know, try cigarettes instead? Like something (laughs) a little less. And my friends weren't into it. Like I, I had like a lot of people, you had two groups of friends. You had your normal friends. And then anybody you were happy that knew what wrestling was, no matter how much of a social miscreant they seemed like. And so my my parents knew I had my group of friends that were regular friends and then the people who liked wrestling. So I could feel like I have somebody to talk to about this with and, and younger fans don't understand or appreciate that. Like I've talked about this with, with Scott Chaplin, who I know you guys had on here, you know, he's in his early twenties. He grew up with, there was always the internet. You could always go online and realize millions and millions of people watch wrestling i grew up in an era where nobody i knew was a wrestling fan nobody nobody watched it nobody was into it so it can it felt like this is my little thing that that i'm going to enjoy and it's not something i can really necessarily share with anybody yeah like when we were younger we were convinced there were two ultimate warriors both with the same oddly racist viewpoint it well, it's it was this it was two different warriors because you could tell because the tan was different yeah. You could convince yourself, like, no, he he looks slightly different. It's just it was a different cycle that Hellwig was on. But I, it was that, or oh, that guy's getting a push because his legs are tanner than they used to be. Now, going back to talking about suffering, I want to get a quick plug in for you guys because it's the Christmas season, and much like Jesus, you and Dan suffer each week after watching Raw, and you do something to sports entertainment with on we your do. Patreon. So if you don't want to suffer through Raw but you want to laugh about what happened, Dan and Robert are there for you every week. I mean, that's kind of where the Twitter account came from. When I started WWE Creative, it was literally, I had left WWE and was was in law school. Nobody I knew was watching wrestling. And my wife sure as hell didn't want to hear about, you know, 
anything that happens. She, she could smile for a moment, but I'm like, you won't believe what Seamus did, and you can watch her soul leave her body. <laughs> and I just started tweeting the same kind of stuff I would say if I was sitting in the writer's room. And it caught on, and it became a chance to have a little bit of a conversation with the the very scary world that seemed like Twitter. And people were very receptive, and it was nice. And it for a lot of people, they felt like, Hey, I'm watching Raw alone. You're watching Raw alone. We're, we're all kind of watching it together and having that experience. Over the last few years, I feel like I'm shouting into an empty canyon because more and more people are jumping off of the WWE bandwagon. They're not watching it live. It's, it's not compelling weekly television, which absolutely kills me. And within the, the confines of Wrestle Roasts, our, our two other co-hosts, Mike Lawrence and, Zant and Scott Chaplin, they don't want to watch current WWE product. I can't blame them. And even when we do our Patreon shows, those aren't necessarily going to be about Raw. So we added an additional tier of, all right, you know, for those real diehards who want to either hear our thoughts on Raw or don't want to watch it themselves and want to get somebody else's take on it, it it works. And, and I'm able to record it right after Raw is over and then just purge it from my mind. It's one of my favorite Patreons because not only do you get the regular roast every week, but you'll get bonus roast and extra content each week and just being a podcaster i admire that somebody else can get paid for it because a lot of podcasts we're almost doing this on spec hoping that eventually the money will come in like it's not everybody's end goal but to see you guys actually making money from it is heartwarming because you guys do good work and it's almost like your art well i needed to pay off my yacht somehow <laughs> so our our hundred no we we do it for for fun. I mean the the Patreon is is a nice little added bonus to justify why I'm abandoning my wife and kids. But it, it's it's really a labor of love, and it's just the four of us enjoy wrestling, and the camaraderie of the show comes from kind of like what you guys have here, just listening to to people who genuinely respect and appreciate pro wrestling but it's not going to insult your intelligence to hear about it. It's being treated like a serious art form because I, you know, I hate to break it to other people. It is a serious art form. It's when I went for my interview with WWE, that's what I talked about. I said, this is, you know, theater. This is, you know, if you were in ancient Greece, this is what you would get. This is what Shakespeare was for the masses. You have, you know, hero stories, you have villain stories, there's cheering, there's booming, there's emotion, there's morality to it. It's, it's everything that you could possibly want. And in my humble opinion, it's better than real sports. And I've worked in real sports majority of my professional adult life. It's better than real sports because you're at least guaranteed to get something entertaining. I, I worked in pro boxing. I worked in professional hockey. You were not guaranteed any sort of legitimate entertainment when you were there based on what the product was on the ice or in the ring. It's why UFC drives me nuts because a lot of UFC fights – are not that great and you're expected to pay money in order to watch it wwe no matter what it is or aew or whatever you're going to get two to three hours of television that's designed solely to entertain you and while it may be predetermined you don't necessarily know what's going to happen there there are people who spent a lot of hard-earned money to go see the Spider-Man movie in theaters, which I have not seen yet. We're not talking about it. I've avoided the internet. Mm -hmm. If somebody spoils this for me, I will have your family killed. I have the ability to do that. I, I still can track down Undertaker's phone number and make your life a living hell. He will talk to you about Blue Lives Matter for a <laughs> number of hours. You don't know what's going to happen in a Marvel movie 
yet people know it's not real and they spend hundreds of millions of dollars on on tickets for it it's why the the fake thing always made me laugh it's like they people love to feel that little bit of superiority in the you must think this is real and i know it's fake i'm like no dumbass once you're past the age of like eight or nine you realize if you punch somebody in the head 10 times in a row and he's not bleeding this might not be on the level but who cares it's wildly entertaining and it's a hell of a lot of fun and it's some of the best entertainment you're going to get 52 weeks out of the year because unions are stupid and wrestling <laughs> health is not important 100 percent. now that that's always been a tough thing to take like it's great that the entertainment's always there but you always don't consider what the performers go through now you said a couple things earlier you're a lawyer and you wrote for the wwe were you in law school while you were at WWE? Which came first? I started, I worked at WWE before I went to law school. How I, do you go from being a fan to applying for the WWE? That seems like a wild process, especially if you're a fan. The simple answer is you hide the fact that you're a fan. It was, it was very much, I mean, the, the crass example I would always give is I remember years of being in Hebrew school and reading like Diary of Anne Frank. It's like, that's what it felt like going into WWE. You had to conceal everything about your identity in order to get in there for, and you were always worried you were going to be exposed and that your life was going to be in danger. They loved the fact that I had a background in, in television production. I had done work at the University of Florida, the greatest college on earth for the Gator football team, the greatest football team on the planet. I saw one of your guys was wearing a seminal sweatshirt in the video. So I just really want to. Oh, AJ strange brew. Yeah. Not going to, not going to tolerate that. Heel. Not going to tolerate that nonsense. And I worked for Showtime Network when I was in college. So that was what gave me an air of credibility. So when I went in there and could say, I have familiarity with what you guys are doing, what I admire is the craft and the ability to tell stories versus, oh my God, Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect 1991 SummerSlam is the reason why I became a legitimate wrestling fan. We'll never forget that moment. Never want to say any of that. So it becomes a little bit like wolf in sheep's clothing when you get in there and you have to tread lightly. You, they, they want somebody who knows everything that's ever happened in the WWE, knows all their superstars, appreciates everything that is, that's ever occurred, but God forbid you were ever once a fan or they will immediately drive you out. It's a very strange self-loathing organization. Interesting. Robert, first off too, before I ask this question, Bret Hart perfect kept me as a wrestling fan so. it changed my view it, it, it's when i turned from being a hogan fan to being a wrestling fan to yeah. realizing this is an art form and everything clicked into place and i was like mr perfect's the most amazing guy ever bret hart is also in there it's yeah. one of those few examples of work rate that the wwe ever showed it's almost like savage steamboat heart flick or heart perfect and then yeah. Like kind of almost few and far between. That intercontinental time period, you had guys like Brett Perfect, Bulldog, Michaels, everybody was starting to really click. I just wanted to ask you though, because obviously, so you were a writer and you know, we don't always hear a lot about this stuff. And I'm just curious, who were some of the guys that were actually really good to work with in the sense that they could actually maybe throw ideas back at you and there were good ideas and you could maybe have a good back and forth with. Edge is a guy that comes top of mind. I mean, that guy was, this is, he had, he was money in the bank winner at that point in time. And whenever it came time for pre-tapes, he always just had something. There was an idea, there was a take, there was a, a, a viewpoint on what he wanted to do. And he would nail it every time, no matter what it was. And this was around the time of his feud with Matt Hardy. When Matt Hardy had come back and all the unpleasantness with Lita. And I thought going into it, 
I'm going to be a Matt Hardy guy. I'm going to really want to help him out. You know, this thing with Edge and Lita was disgusting that they fired Matt over it. Lita was a beyond professional, incredibly nice, incredibly talented, incredibly smart woman. Edge was an absolute delight. Matt Hardy, and that's that's all I have to say. <laughs> so he, he was great. John Cena was a guy who, no matter what it was, I mean, you give him something small and he's going to make it work. Very enthusiastic, very collaborative, zero ego, knew the name of every single person he was working with. He knew the lighting guys. He knew the camera guys. He knew about your families. Like he was a pro's pro. And this is back in like 2005. This is, he was just becoming the guy. And that was an absolute pleasure to deal with. Batista, same way. Another, another person who, no matter what you want to talk about, was, was dealing with stuff with him and Eddie for their, hey, we're going to pretend to be friends. And he just got it right away. And he had the comedic chops that we didn't realize he was going to have. And you started to see what was really exciting about Batista as opposed to just he was the, the muscle for evolution. And then it was the him and Hunter stuff. This was moving him to SmackDown. This was giving him his own identity. And no matter what it was, if it was serious, if it was comedic, he always delivered. And it was it was awesome. You know, I'm just curious. One thing, listening to you talk about, like you mentioned Batista, you mentioned Cena, you mentioned Edge, generally the top guys in this time. And you mentioned professionalism with all of them. Would you say there's a correlation that your tippy top guys a lot of times in that time period there were some of the most professional as well? I also work with Randy Orton. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's not in in so in Orton's defense, I yes. will I will give Orton all. The, he was a young guy who had had the entire world handed to him. He went from the military brig for going a wall to thinking his life was over to you go into professional wrestling and everyone's like you are the second coming of everybody. And it's going to give you a big head. And then when you're on the road and you're in your early 20s and every town, there's women throwing themselves at you. And every legend that shows up is, you know, wants to go and kiss the ring. You're going to develop an ego. It's going to happen. And unfortunately, when I when I work with him, we had to bring in Cowboy Bob Orton to kind of temper him a little bit to keep him you know on the straight and narrow, not knowing, you know, Cowboy Bob was full of hep C and we were going to have him bleed all over the Undertaker. <laughs> so. You know, it didn't really work. Now, ironically enough, years later, Randy and I become good friends. He's an awesome guy. And he even acknowledges, right. yeah, I wasn't the greatest dude to work with at that point in time. But there are certain people that are going to get 100 chances. There are certain people who are going to get one chance and it's one and done. It helps if you're really talented that you're going to get a number of opportunities. And if you're talented and have the right people backing you. There were plenty of guys I loved that I wanted to do stuff with that – if we even broached their name, it was going to be bad. I, I thought the world of Brian Kendrick. I wanted to do a ton of stuff with Kendrick. I thought he was awesome and basically got told, like, just it's not worth you're, you're going to push a boulder up a hill and it's not going to go anywhere and it's not going to help your career. And I would watch the OVW tapes that we were getting from developmental and see CM Punk when he was first there. And I'm like, how are we not using this guy? Like, how is he not our top guy from day one? And they're like, nope. Paul Heyman's pushing him really hard in OVW. You don't want to get that that stink on you. And that was how I kind of hooked up with Mr. Kennedy and started to do some work with him when he first was, was debuting because I'm like, that's my kind of wrestling talent. My one contribution to the professional wrestling was the Kennedy microphone dropping from the ceiling, was, was giving that pitch and then green lighting it and then it taking off. 
and it was like that's really cool that i was able to do that one little tiny thing to to contribute to to the business because when you're really on when you're on the writing staff it's a bit of a misnomer you're not writing everything week in and week out the way you hope it's you have an audience of one and he's a crazy old man who sometimes loses his egg and you need to do everything possible to hold his attention or else he's going to like wander into traffic. <laughs> that was actually going to be my next question because I think the biggest question knowing you work for WWE is we got to ask about Vince. I got to, I kind of have a two part question. What was it like your first time meeting him? And then what is it like in general to work underneath him? Because I think with what's happened with the product the last few years, we all look at it as he's just gotten crazier and less reeled in. But there's got to be a real human behind that maniac, right? There might be a real human, but he's in the other room controlling the devices that move Vince. <laughs> Vince is Vince McMahon 24-7. There is no point in time where he kind of leans over to you and be like, you know, it's all an act, right? You never, you never have that. There's always a presence. He's very professional. He's very businesslike. You go into those meetings whenever the meeting is going to start. I know if anybody listens to Pritchard's podcast, he's always talking about like late night meetings and all this other craziness. It's kind of the way your your life is. You're on call for someone who Vince McMahon is a genius. There is no question. There is no doubt in my mind. Vince McMahon is a genius. When you are running a company the way that he is running it, and you go from a meeting about trucking logistics to a meeting about merchandising, to a meeting about TV rights deals, to a meeting about international syndication, and then going into a creative meeting, it's a very long day for this dude. And he doesn't like to sleep and he doesn't like to admit that he needs to pass something off. So you get a limited window of time with him and you need to impress him. And you need to hope that he's in a good enough mood where he's going to focus on what you're saying. And the best tool with that was Stephanie. We would have to pitch everything to Stephanie and Hunter, who was injured at the time, was kind of in the office learning everything. So we would pitch, you know, go through all of Raw, all of SmackDown with Stephanie, and she would give us her notes so that when it got presented to Vince, she could be the McMahon whisperer and talk to Vince and be like, no, no, this is a good idea. And here's why we like this. And oh, okay, I, I understand. Okay. And every once in a while, the juices would start to, to flow with Vince and you would see it. And I remember once there was a meeting where I saw that spark and I saw who that guy was, where he suddenly mapped out two years worth of storylines out of nowhere. And it was awe-inspiring. And it was the most amazing thing ever. And then it all fizzled because, you know, he forgot about it the next week. But it was really cool to see in that moment where we try to come up with coherent long-term storylines. But the, from the number of revisions that you go through from... When, this is when SmackDown was, was taped on Tuesdays, and now I think it's back in that world, but I'm sorry, now it's live. But when SmackDown was taped on Tuesdays, you would start your work week on a Wednesday. You start formulating the show for that week. You get a draft ready by Thursday. You present it to Stephanie Thursday. You get her feedback. Friday, you meet with Vince. You go over the show. Saturday, you do a conference call with Vince where you go over the show again from scratch as if he's never heard it before. Mm -hmm. And his notes on Saturday are as if he's never seen this show before ever. And forget your you meeting on Friday. Me? So on Friday, yes. theory. God damn, he he looks like he's missing a chromosome, and that's where Von Wagner came from. Okay. I'm kidding. Von Wagner's the next John Cena. He's going to be a big star. You you go over the show Saturday, then Sunday you're on the plane, and you go over the show again, 
man. And they're saying, then on Monday, you get to the building. You go over the show in the in the agent meeting. So then you have all the old timers that are sitting there. And at the time, it was Arn and it was Malenko and it was Patterson and, and DiBiase and, and Michael P.S. Hayes and Steamboat and Steve Kern. So they're hearing Raw for the first time because not a single one of them opened the emails we sent them with the script. <laughs> and that's the very first time that they're going to come up with their own suggestions. And Vince is going to listen to Pat Patterson over a writer. And Pat doesn't know we've mapped out four weeks of TV. He's just seeing this very narrow window. And we're like, okay, we're doing this. Ah, what if we do the other thing? Vince, I love it. We're like, well, Vince, if you do that, you've just undone the next six weeks of storytelling. I don't know if we're doing it. Great. You rewrite the show again. And then before you know it, you got to start filming pre-tapes. And then the show's on the air. And the saying was, it's not on the air because it's good. It's on the air because it's nine o'clock. Wow. And that's got to really burn you out because you've talked about the same show for four days, five days. It gets changed at the last moment. And then you have to retool everything you planned to that. And then I imagine you just have to do that each week. And that really makes sense how you lose some of the continuity of these storylines. And you lose credibility because you've talked to a wrestler and you're like, here's the, here's the trajectory of where we're going with you. We're, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then, the, you know, the famous expression is, you know, plans change, pal. They think that you're going one way and then the rug gets pulled out from under them because who knows what. You know, Vince doesn't like the punch that you threw during one of the matches and has now lost all faith in you. Or he, he didn't like the lighting in the pre-tape, so he cut the pre-tape. And the pre-tape told the story of why this match was happening. And it was setting up your big turn. Like, stupid little things like that. Caden Murdoch won the tag titles. Or were supposed to win the tag titles, but they were taking pictures with the belts for the magazine backstage. And somebody saw it. And it went up online. And then it became, well, we can't put the titles on them because it got on the internet that there was pictures of them taking with the, with the championships. They had to change the entire show at that moment. It's, it's wild and it's the best learning experience you can have. It's tackle football on concrete. Now, do you think that's the reason that a lot of guys leave the WWE feeling that they were promised something when maybe it's just a message that got mixed up? Because you hear a lot of guys say, oh, they were going to put the title on me. I was going to have this run. Let's just Ryback. He's been hitting the head a lot. I was no, going to say you, some guys have less credibility. Honestly, the, it's you're you're not ever. I've never once seen somebody guaranteed something. I've never seen somebody once told this is a hundred percent going to happen. Everything is with an asterisk, and here's what we're hoping is going to happen, or here's a, a a direction that we think this is going to go, and then things get altered and. Part of what the challenge is for WWE and, and part of why it is so stale and so static and so boring compared to AEW, and I'm the WWE apologist and I know that, but I know I view it a different way. They are a publicly traded company. They have to answer to shareholders. They can't do anything that's going to rock the boat because if you rock the boat, you run the risk of being removed by your board of directors and who knows what's going to happen with the company. You have a different fiduciary duty. Tony Khan, bless his heart, is an incredibly rich billionaire who's playing with action figures on TV. He doesn't have anybody to answer to but himself, which is why he can put on the product that he puts on. It is, as a fan, here's what I want to see, and I'm going to put this on here, and it's going to be awesome. And if you gave any writer that roster, they're going to deliver a great show, assuming you don't have a bottom line. He's a private financial backer. He doesn't need to worry about Wall Street. WWE needs to worry about who's the next guy, who's the next marketing wing. 
and and move on from there. They are a global enterprise that has a, a, a recording and a record label. They have a movie studio. They have TV production. They have streaming rights and they have two billion dollar deals that are in place right now. And that's all that really matters to them and to their shareholders. And as long as you're selling action figures and blankets and toys, they don't need to rock the boat. And they're going to continue doing what they do for as cheap as humanly possible because that's what that's what Wall Street wants from them. And the only reason Vince has ever deviated from what he did was because he was on the brink of going out of business right. and had to change his business model. And once he changed it back after the XFL folded in 2001 and he had complete control of the landscape, there was no reason for him to alter his business until Mattel came along and said, we don't want a TV 14 product. We're going to offer you more money than you can possibly imagine for your toy rights, but you need to make a PG show. And they're like, great, we're a PG show. Vince is a businessman. That's that's what it ultimately comes down to. It's somewhat creatively bereft to a lot of people, but still pulls in millions of viewers in 160 plus countries. And it's it's serving the master that it needs to serve. I think Eric Bischoff made some of those same points too. Like, oh, fuck oh. Bischoff. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's really interesting, uh, you know, as a fan to hear that. It's a very interesting perspective, though. Like, I don't think we think enough about what it means to be a publicly traded company. We're also the nerdy fans that are interested in the backstage of it and totally. the why of certain things. So. And that was what drew. That was what kept me interested. Mm. Like, I know they lean into the dirt sheet world because they know at after a certain point in time certain fans transition from solely watching what's on TV to we're going to go online and we want to know everything about everything. And they cater to that market. When, when I was in WWE 24 seven, when I, when I left the road and was transitioning to be a producer for that before I knew, I always knew I was leaving for law school. I knew I had an end date at WWE. So when I was able to move to not be on the road and do stuff for WWE 24 seven, I started creating fan content that I wanted to see because I knew more importantly, the cable system in Connecticut didn't offer 24 seven, which means Vince had no way of seeing it. So we were completely scot-free and I had the entire WWE library at my disposal. That's so gotta be the most fun as a fan. We created the legends of wrestling Roundtable, yes. where we literally just sat the guys around and we got them drunk. And it was the most fun. Uh, the first one was the most fun night. Uh, one of my most fun nights ever. It was Jim Ross as the host with Michael P.S. Hayes, Dusty Rhodes, Pat Patterson, and Mike Graham. One of these things is not like the others. But we had just bought the Florida library, so we had to use Mike Graham. And we gave him all coffee cups filled with booze. And my favorite part of all of this is in between one of the episodes that we were taping, we taped like five in a row. One of the PAs went to go refill Pat Patterson's cup. And he's like, yeah, give me some more coffee. And the guy brought him back goes, what the hell is this? It's coffee. <laughs> and got so pissed. I'm like, you have to kayfabe it because Kevin Dunn was there for some reason. Shane McMahon showed up just to watch them tape it. And as the episodes got a little later into the night, the stories became less and less usable. <laughs> so it's like we're doing the Piper story and P and Michael PS Hayes is starting to tell stories about like drunk Piper stealing the, the ring truck and building the ring in the middle of the motel or iron chic with a bag of cocaine in the backseat of a car. I'm like, this is awesome. We're never going to be able to use this, but this is so much fun to be able to, to have on film somewhere. Yeah. I remember one of the great lines from that for me, I still remember this was like dusty roads. I think you're talking about Terry Funk. 
trying to set them on fire and blah, blah, blah. And he says, this was like last week, and they're like in the 60s and stuff. That was the weirdest thing when I met Dusty and he was talking about, he's like, he's like, oh, you're from South Florida. I'm going to be in David in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be wrestling. And I'm like, you're still wrestling? Like it blew my mind. I love the American dream. He was so much fun to work with sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes would come up with ideas where you're just like, oh, you, you like, bless your heart. No, we were doing the Eddie Batista thing. And he's like, what if you got Batista on the side of the road walking and Eddie comes by in a low rider with some thugs and they open fire on him. (laughs) (laughs) We making movies here, baby. He thinks we're making movies and, and you know, not that kind of movie. We're not making Grand Theft Auto Vice City or something, but you know, it's you, you roll with it and you just kind of nod your head politely when it's, you know, the American dream or the million dollar man, guys you grew up loving who are pitching really terrible ideas. Now, besides working in WWE, you worked on the MLW revamp for a while. Can you tell us about your time in MLW? Because I was a fan of MLW, like I told you off air, from when it was behind a paywall an actual podcast network to them making it was one shot then it was never say die never then it say was never. Like, what, one or two more before they got their tv deal so yeah so mlw was a promotion back in the early 2000s it was one of those companies that tried to fill the ecw void and it was started by court bauer who shut down mlw to go join the wwe writing team and i worked with court on smackdown along with alex greenfield and we were all under head writer Dave Lagana. And Court, Alex, and I all got along really, really well. And Dave Lagana was also there. And we talked about what, you know, what we wanted wrestling to be. And the old MLW was awesome because it had Joey Styles on commentary and he was using a lot of the the talent that had left ECW or were up and coming talent that hadn't been seen before. And Court started the MLW radio network. And it was the first home of Pritchard's podcast. And it was the first home of a lot of other wrestling shows. Cornette had a show on there. Court had a show. I had a show behind a paywall, which was a hell of a lot of fun to do. And we used to do an event called Wale Mania with the, the rapper Wale. And mm-hmm. it was WrestleMania weekend. And it would be this big hip hop concert. And all the wrestlers would come hiding in the back so they wouldn't get seen. And it was a blast. And we were talking at one of them. And they're like, I want to do this one shot. I want to do a one-off wrestling show. We think it'd be a hell of a lot of fun. And Alex and I are like, yeah, let's do it. And as we were getting closer, Court's like, what if we try to bring this thing back full force? I'm like, absolutely. Let's, you know, let's, let's see what we can do. And we got Tony Schiavone out of wrestling retirement and mm-hmm. he came in as our commentator and we started amassing this roster of of young talent who were extraordinary and a lot of them had never worked TV before let alone you're working for three WWE writers our head camera guy was the the head camera guy for ECW our TV director directed world class and ring of honor it was a and and our our I don't know what his role even was. We had Nelson Swegler, who was the Kevin Dunn before Kevin Dunn. He was 250 years old and he was great, but he knew all the logistics. Raphael Morphy was booking all of our buildings, who now books AEW. Our production crew and our ring crew are now the ring crew for uh, AEW. And most of our rosters in AEW and our commentators in AEW. You noticing a pattern? Yeah. By any chance? Yeah, so, yeah. You know, it was doing wrestling in a way that was pure and fun where we could just, as kids in a candy store, 
come up with ideas for these these wrestlers who nobody's ever seen before and help them mold and shape their characters. And they pulled me aside and like, Robert, there's a kid we want you to work with. It's his first time doing TV. His name is MJF. And I think you two are going to get along. And Max became my project. And it was the most fun thing I've ever done in professional wrestling is work with MJF. And every month it was him and I coming up with vignettes and promos and, and pre-tapes and shaping what this character was going to be and seeing him now become the greatest thing on television. One thing I got to say about MJF recently, just not even in the last few years, I saw him at an independent show a couple of years ago too at Beyond Wrestling and he pie-faced this kid. Like he was laying on the mat. So it wasn't even part of the match. The kid was like, it's like a Halloween night. He's one of the Parker students. He's being super obnoxious. I giggled my ass off, by the way, because I couldn't believe that. But I saw that, and then later, later in Dallas, when they were doing the when the Von Erichs had come back, and he started talking about doing the Von Erich thing and all this, I really realized this guy's, like, fearless. Like, when I think of a comedian, like, he he's going to go all out, and he's going to push that envelope. And I don't know what behind the scenes. Tell him Brian Pillman, his mother should have swallowed him, calling her methany. He's like on that cutting edge of where you need to be. He was, and and he is fearless. One of the things I did with him was our second or third taping. I grabbed a camera guy and we went around Orlando where we filmed most of these shows. And we just went to a bunch of different venues. And I just let, I just let Max loose. I just can't, we went to a mall. And there was a store that legitimately was going out of business. And I'm like, Max, stand in front of that store. And I want you belly laughing as hard as you can. And he's bowled over laughing. And there's employees in the store looking who are about to lose their jobs. And he's just pointing and laughing at these people. It was just absolute gold. He got it. He got the character. He got exactly what to do. In real life, he's... I don't want to ruin the mystique. He's, he's an, an asshole. asshole. He's he, an asshole. I remember yeah. the first time I saw him at a wrestling show. I was kind of like, I saw him come out and I was just kind of dicking on my phone. And then I look up and he's just looking at me. <laughs> and I like, I reacted and he was just like, fuck you. And like, I like, I wasn't even paying attention. And then I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, why am I getting roasted? And it was, I didn't get it till I saw him a few more times. And I'm like, oh, this kid is a genius. At MLW shows, I was always in the booth on the floor doing music and video cues. And his promos, he would change lines just to pop me. And that was his barometer. He would look over because he used to know that on SNL when they would do Stefan, John Mulaney, who would write Stefan, would always change out some of the jokes just to screw a Bill Hader. So Max and I would work out the promo and then he would just change something and then just look over to me and I would I would die laughing. And that was part of the the, the fun of it. We worked on a promo against uh, when he was working against Teddy Hart and he took that same promo and used it on Pillman on AEW Dynamite, the where he's talking to Brian Pillman in hell was the yeah. same promo we did of him talking to Sue Hart in hell. And I, I ran up by court and court's like, check with Teddy and make sure Teddy Hart's okay with it. And I'm like, Teddy's not going to give a shit. <laughs> and Teddy was like, no, say whatever you want, man. What did Stu ever do for me? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> He's not the reason you're here at all, Teddy. Like, there's no connection. <laughs> no, no. Teddy Hart's there because I think he had pictures of court with a donkey or something because we kept <laughs> using Teddy creeped me out. I couldn't. I couldn't deal with, uh, well, with Teddy a lot of the time. Yeah, court definitely seemed to be. I mean, just as a fan, like he would work with the people. It seemed like that maybe nobody else wanted to work with. Loki, Teddy Hart, yeah. and that's the thing. He always says, "Like Joey I'm the Ryan. asshole." He's like, "I'm the." Uh, <laughs> we won't yeah, get into yeah, that. Had that me was... going until. 
So Go to low the Patreon key, for that. Low key, no, that's right. Low key was I was because we brought in low key. We brought an MVP, who were two guys that were kryptonite. Nobody touched them, and they were the most professional, incredible, collaborative, giving individuals. And I had so much fun working with MVP and so much fun working with Loki. And the problem with Loki is Loki expects a degree of excellence from people and doesn't tolerate anything else. And it's, I'm going to treat this seriously and I'm going to give this my all. And if you're not, and I feel like you're not, I'm going to tell you. And sometimes in wrestling, people don't like that. And that was, you know, the caval of it all. Like he could have showed up and <laughs> cashed a check wearing a wetsuit for years. And he just got to the point of, I wasn't just going to be happy working velocity or main event or whatever it was. And when you're vocal, sometimes it works in your favor. Sometimes it doesn't. And then you get that reputation. Unfortunately, Teddy Hart was kooky and off the wall and weird, but fans loved him. I didn't understand the Joey Ryan thing at all. I didn't, I, I got that he had built a following and this is before the, him being potentially canceled and all that. Let's put an asterisk going to star there. And I remember Wheeler Yuta showing me a video of this guy and he's like, this is a dude I want to bring in. And it was orange Cassidy. Oh, and I'm yeah. watching this video of him and I'm like, this is the weirdest stuff I've ever seen. But we're like, well, no, we already, we have Joey Ryan. You can't do two guys who are being meta and we bet on the wrong horse. And it's funny because like we have enough to explain as wrestling fans. And then we go, there's this guy with a dick grab spot. Like I'm not a fan of it. People love it. I don't love it. And then it's like, it's hard to come back from there. But Robert, we don't want to be difficult to work with like Teddy Hart. We have to have you on again. Cause we want to talk the wrestle Rose podcast. We want to talk so much more, but on our show here, we do a segment called the five, three, one, where we take your top five list on a particular subject, vote it down to a top three, debate it down to a top one. And since we're closing out 2021, can you give us your top five wrestling moments of the year? Yeah. So some of these won't be much of a surprise whatsoever. And as the WWE guy, it surprised me that it was more AEW heavy, but it's the way it is. I think the the first moment has to be the debut of CM Punk in AEW. I, I think there was very few moments that existed in wrestling that were going to replicate the authenticity of what that was. That was something as a fan you wanted the moment that he vanished from that Royal Rumble. You were desperate to see CM Punk back. And it was a genuinely emotional moment. And this is even with the fact that having dealt with the real CM Punk, I know that he's definitely a difficult guy and not the not the easiest person, but you forget all that. You became a fan, and it was a real moment that felt like you were a fan. Second for me was another Punk moment was him and MJF. Watching MJF's promo where Max eviscerated CM Punk, mm. like as a proud parent seeing this moment, I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. I, t I texted him back when it was him and Jericho, and I'm like, there's nothing cooler than seeing my creation go toe to toe with the dude that kept me involved in wrestling. And then just watching the masterclass Max put on with, with punk and has continued to do so. But that first thing that you knew they were going to eventually collide was, was amazing. My, my third memorable moment was Danielson Omega at Arthur Ashe stadium. The match itself was good. The atmosphere, the environment, the crowd, especially after I watched Thunderdome for a year and a half straight. This was like ECW one night stand where you just had goosebumps and this audience was rabid and loved and appreciated everything. And it made you a wrestling fan, whether you wanted to be or not. My, my fourth moment, because this was so surreal 
and so weird to see and brought me so much perverse joy was the WrestleMania rain delay because oh, it was that must it have was been burning Vince. It was where you saw who could actually deliver on television. Yes. Who could you trust with a live unscripted promo? How they were able to carry that broadcast in panic mode. That felt like the WWE of old. That was like, oh, there's still the magic there. There's still what they can do when it's not overproduced to a, to a comma, Kevin Dunn world. It was, all right, we can trust Kevin Owens a microphone. Give Kevin Owens a microphone. Let him just cut a promo. That, to me, was one of the most fun, pure wrestling moments of the year. And then I think the number five most memorable moment was the WWE releases. Seeing the number of talent that that got cut, seeing a guy like Braun Strowman suddenly unemployed. is so many talented people. And I think as a former creative member, you can't help but think there is so much you could do with these people. And what I would I would love to get my hands on these guys. And the fact WWE dropped the ball with so many talented performers and then dropped so many of them all at once, it was genuinely shocking. And unfortunately, it happened more than more than one time. I think one of the most talented wrestlers in the world is Isaiah Swerve Scott, who was our first MLW world champion, is Shane Strickland. Like that that dude has every intangible you could possibly want from a, a professional wrestler. And for him to be such a star at NXT and called up to SmackDown because Fox thought he was really engaging and his group was amazing. And then they cut him. It was like, what are, what are you guys doing? The same thought I had when they got rid of John Morrison, who now after losing Jeff Hardy, they wish they can get John Morrison back. A hundred percent. Now Dave's happy that we're under time constraints and I can't ask about what I perceive to be not racism in WWE, but a definite racist slant. But I'm going to give you my top five. CM Punk's return in Chicago, obviously the electricity, that was a big moment. Brian Danielson's heel turn has been masterful. I've loved watching the subtlety in it and how you see a different wrestler coming out of him now. Because he really is a heel. Yeah. In real life, that dude is a heel. Like, and if in a good way, in a funny way, he's a heel. He's not the smiling, happy baby face. Like He is a guy who gets it and if you ever watch the wrestling road diaries with him and colt cabana and he was doing his farewell speech he gets in the car after and he's like all right i'm gonna do that same speech again tomorrow night it seemed like a true genuine emotional moment and you realize oh it's all bs and he's a showman and he gets exactly what he's doing i love that now i've also got biggie winning the title because obviously i have a certain idea about what i think about wwe and it was it was good to see them get a black champion and so far, they haven't dropped the bar ball as far as I thought. Like, when they had the Hurt Business and then they just broke it up inexplicably, I'm like, how are you going to get the Black Four Horsemen and not ride this to the moon? Because you, you goddammit, you can't have Lashley have other people. It makes him look weak. He's a star. Who the hell is Shelton Benjamin? That guy can't cut a promo. And <laughs> the, the, the other guy? I don't even know the other guy. <laughs> Where's a sock on his head? I don't trust him. <laughs> now, my fourth moment is FTR confronting the Briscoes. And I don't know how familiar you're going to be with moment five because this was just a funny moment. But GCW did an event called Emo Fight. And Nick Gage comes out at one point and he's doing his post-match speech. And he's doing the, I love you motherfuckers. Now, play my chemical romance. And it was just funny because... I can't imagine that being anywhere on Nick Gage's playlist. 
Hey, what's that song? The Black Parade. I love that. When I was a young uh, Nick, yeah, Nick, Nick Gage is. Uh, <laughs> I, <sighs> Once again, listen to Wrestle Roast for their opinions. They, oh, we did a roast. We did a roast to Nick Gage, and you'll hear you would hear exactly what I thought of Nick Gage for the better part of an hour. So <laughs> that's why I'm just gonna give a very polite. I'm I'm happy he is earning an income. Good good on you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna besmirch somebody for that. But I like David Arquette. David Arquette's a buddy of mine. Please don't kill David Arquette. Mm. Like he's a nice dude. He was a great WCW champion. Now, Dave, do you want to give us a quick a quick yeah. couple lists here at the end, and then we'll kind of come up with a winner? All right, all right. I will definitely do that. We um, don't want to keep Robert too long. We're happy anytime we can get a guest. Uh, and actually, Dave's got to get to his girlfriend's nursing graduation today. Oh, that's what it, I got it. <laughs> yeah. it's He's priorities. also on no sleep. He runs a bread route. And like we were talking earlier about recording when you're exhausted, Dave messaged me earlier. He goes, hey, man, I'm on no sleep. So I call him up and I'm like, define no sleep. If it's zero sleep, I can handle the interview. And he, I was talking about it. He goes, nah, man, I'm actually kind of excited. Let's get this in. <laughs> yeah, no, we did that. If you listen to the Wrestle Roast that we dropped this week, the Charlotte Flair Roast, because of scheduling, we had to record it after Dynamite. And usually mm -hmm. we record on Thursday at like 6 o'clock. That's perfect in my window. I have small kids that get up at 5 a.m. So I'm used to like no sleep. But having stayed up all day working, then watching Dynamite for two hours, then expecting to do two hours of the podcast. By the end of it, it was like my high spot was I want to go take a nap. So <laughs> I totally get it. You're going to put on a happy face for the nursing graduation and oh, throw yeah. rice or whatever yeah. you do with those things. I, I don't, don't know. know. <laughs> they throw stethoscopes in the air, and it's great. He's going to have to help wrangle those five kids. They're going to be running around wanting to catch the uh, thing that they throw in the air. <laughs> we don't got all five of them, thank God. So, yeah, right, let me throw a couple of lists here. Jake St. John, front of the show. He's got... Biggie wins the world title. Will Ospreay winning the IWGP title is win ranked higher than Biggie because he thought the IWGP title means a little more. Scott just passed out on his couch <laughs> through amazement. Scott didn't know that Biggie's WWE champions here. <laughs> Brian Danielson, Adam Cole debut in AEW. Hangman Page wins the title, and again, I think a lot of people have this as number one. CM Punk returns. Like you, Rob, I gotta agree that is like one of the most authentic moments that natural crowd reaction if you can get cornet to say that he couldn't have done it better then there's something to the moment i'm gonna give you a couple more real quick here cm punk returns this is zach st john his brother cm punk returns all the other AEW days views cole danielson black soho <laughs> which shows you how I, this is why AEW kills me because they're they they as a student of the game that tony khan is he doesn't realize that WCW flamed out because they just started relying solely on big mm. surprise debuts. And there's only so many you can do. And on, on the Dynamite that aired on the, the week that we're recording this, which was The Winter is Coming, yeah. the lights went out at the end of that show. And everybody in that crowd thought it was going to be Bray Wyatt. Yeah. And the lights came back on and it was Sting and Darby Allen, And you heard the audience kind of go, eh. Right. Because they're just conditioned that all you respond to now is surprise debut, surprise debut, surprise debut, and it loses its cachet. Sorry. 100,000%, though. I do want to agree with that because I am a big fan. I've been watching for years, and I was expecting Bray Wyatt to be there as well. It's like, not a surprise debut anymore when you expect it. Well, that, yeah, but then when you also don't get it, you're kind of like, oh, and it's like, it wasn't a bad angle. But it wasn't a bad angle, but there's no way Wyndham was going to make it down to the ring in that short a window of time and get in there without huffing and puffing. Bless his. Well, also, you've conditioned me to expect more now, and like, you know, yeah. 
So yeah, Zach also has Big E winning the world title. Wow. Hey, I'm surprised how many people pick Big E winning the title. I, you know what? I have it on my two AEW <laughs> Forbidden Door. Opening Forbidden Doors, he says. And Hangman beats Omega. I'm going to read this one real quick. Scott from Volatown. He had a little humor in his. Cody Rhodes ended racism. Yes. Uh, yes, he did. <laughs> Nick Gage's bloody pizza cutter appeared alongside a Domino's pizza and national television commercial. That was an all-time moment. Perfect brand synergy, but nobody bought in. Sabata returned and wrestled an exhibition match, and exhibition matches usually involve a total of zero headbutts. Good for Sabata. <laughs> NXT became NXT 2.0, so now I have free time on Tuesday nights. NXT 2.0 is great. You people don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it is fantastic. It, it's I, I, I'll say I know you have to run because you don't want to. I don't want to cost you your relationship, but. <laughs> NXT 1.0 was a complete and total failure because it was the best indie wrestling promotion in the world. And all Vince wanted NXT to be was to get him one WrestleMania main eventer. And it got him zero WrestleMania main eventers in six years. Triple H was giving the audience what they wanted and not Vince mm. what he wanted. And NXT 2.0 is going to be a success because Braun Breaker is eventually going to main event WrestleMania and Vince is going to feel vindicated. So <laughs> NXT 2.0 is a hell of a lot of fun watching. It's like old school Memphis wrestling where every segment is just a, a random gimmick, a random angle. And the storylines make sense, even if they're written in crayon and incredibly simplistic. Sorry. I do like the promo videos that they play. It almost feels to me like old WWE with Josh Briggs and his friend being. That, uh, oh, yeah. When they're like, yeah. they're like, we're Southern boys and we're going to throw, you know, the hacky sack in the back. And then we're going to go to a concert. People are going to watch me. Like, I go to concerts. I like these guys. Like, that's the kind of shit that worked for so long in pro wrestling that it 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 like the, the old WWF superstars fan in me is so happy to see this nonsense. I, I'm gonna agree with some of that because as a fan, it does remind me of that old school a little bit. Where WWF, it even kind of reminded me almost of like, ah, oh God, like Impact Wrestling met Global or WCW Worldwide, like the taping style and like a I would say a small time independent in the sense you're gonna see some people. Like, oh, this is crap. Like, oh, wait, this guy's really good. He could be a star. It's going to be – you kind of can't go in thinking the whole show is going to be, like, amazing. But no, it's, it's hit and miss. But you know what? Unlike AEW, I can tell you who every single wrestler is on NXT. Not their names, but I can tell you what their character is. I know mm -hmm. Mike Lawrence always brings this up because he has no idea what Angelico is, and it bothers him to no end. But there's a number of guys in NXT or in AEW who are just – it's a wrestler. I couldn't tell you three things about them yet. I watched, you know, NXT and I'm like, there's a dude with wacky jackets and I know everything about him. Cause he's got wacky jackets and that's all you need to know to and, and understand this guy. There's another dude who's just like, they shaved my head and now I'm bald. That's his character. <laughs> Sometimes wrestling is not that complicated. Just a hell of a card player, apparently. Well, actually, he's not that good card player. I think that's why he got he, He's not. He lost to Cameron Grimes to yeah. the moon, who I tried to bring I in like MLW, and Cameron Grimes was out of town the day that I needed him. And I was so pissed because I'm like, we got to bring this dude in. And I'm like, are you available tonight? He's like, I just left for the Carolinas. I'm like, damn it. Yeah, he is. He is good. We've been liking Cameron Grimes for a long time. Oh, 100%. Awesome. Now, Dave, you want to bring us one more list? And we're going to skip the top three because I think the number one is going to be a little obvious. Yeah. It's the WrestleMania rain delay. I know. <laughs> I got, well, I'll give you two more. I got Jesse from New Hampshire. He's got Cardona under a hood at GCW. Punk returns. The failed bomb explosion at AEW. Thank Adam you. Hall, 
Adam Cole AEW debut and Dragonoff beating Walter for the UK title. And I'm going to cram my list in because, hey, I'm a co-host on this show. And I'm get your my, shit in, get really? my shit in here. <laughs> on the rain delay topic, I do have to say for me personally, Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks, they conveyed a lot of emotion in that match. I'm not saying I can watch every match or everybody's going to be crying, but that particular match, it came off again. We'll use like the CM Punk thing. Very authentic. Very real in that moment. It just felt different in that card. So I I got very into that match. And that's going to make my list, along with the Punk debut we already talked about. I will give it up to Hangman because I do feel that was the most compelling storyline AEW's had since the people got behind him. They got behind the Cowboys shit and they pulled the trigger. Ryan Danielson, Omega, like you, I just felt like that was a moment. It was one of the fastest paced half hour matches I've ever seen. It went by like I wanted more, which you should want in a match, I think. But just the atmosphere, it was so electric. And number five, since I don't have my list in front of me, I'm just going to say off the top of my head, like you, MJF, Punk Exchange. I thought MJF was on him. I did love that punk line, but you know, the better, you know, the less famous Miz. I was like, Okay, I didn't expect you to mention Miz. It made me a little low, but I like it. I like it because you guys are throwing daggers I wouldn't see coming. And I can't remember the last time a promo exchange that went that long kept my interest. It was awesome. 100%. Now, Robert, before we let you go, is there anything you would like to plug on the way out? Follow me on Twitter at WWCreative underscore ISH. Why underscore ISH? Because I used to be WWE underscore creative and got shut down by the WWE because people thought I was an authentic WWE account which just goes to show you how bright some folks are. Wrestle Roast, we do a show. It comes out every Friday. It's myself, Mike Lawrence, Dan St. Germain, and Scott Chaplin. The three of them are incredibly talented professional comedians, and I am also there. We roast a wrestler. Starting in January, we're going to do every other week, we're going to do a roast, and then the, the other week, we're bringing back the 10 count, talking about the top stories of the week. We also break down Dynamite every week. We talk about all kinds of other wacky nonsense. It's If you like this show, you're going to enjoy WrestleRoast. It's a hell of a lot of fun. We have a Patreon. It is the best Patreon deal in wrestling. We do a bonus roast. We do a show every single week. They made me watch Jingle All the Way 2, which I have to talk about this weekend. So I'm going to start questioning my my belief in anything. And yeah, the Pro Wrestling Tees store, uh, I've got some some fun shirts on there. And this was, this was awesome, guys. Thanks so much. Thank hey, you. thanks for coming on. And we'd like to have you again. Have a good Absolutely, one. Absolutely, Robert. Pleasure. Thank you. We want to take a minute to thank our newest sponsor on the show, 482 Designs. That is F-O-U-R, the number is 82designs, 482designs. You can find them on Facebook by looking up F-O-U-R, 82designs, at F-O-U-R, 82designs on Instagram. And if you want to email them, go to F-O-U-R, 82designs at gmail.com. Pretty soon, we're going to be rolling out some high-quality T-shirts and stickers that were just done by the sponsor. Please check them out for any of your screen printing needs. First off, it's light years better than our first one. Also, like, divide the washer and dryer. They look good, and they're good quality. Nice. And those stickers before Paco chewed them up were amazing. And luckily, we'll be getting some more in, hopefully, before we start selling them to fans. But that's F-O-U-R-8-2 Designs. All right, everybody. It's the Working Fans Podcast with the man they call Dave. And today, I got a special guest. Former champion. He's been Heritage Champion for Championship Wrestling for Hollywood. American Champion, I believe, for Empire Wrestling Federation. Yes. And this guy, he's been on New Japan Strong. He's killing it on NWA Power. He always gives about 
280%. Just, I, I think we're about 290, 290%. <laughs> Jordan Clearwater, man. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> oh, man, I couldn't have asked for a better introduction. That was fantastic. I was getting, you know, on fire myself as you were saying it. So I'm I'm, I'm blown away. Thank you. I, 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 I follow your work, man. I was watching NWA Power actually this morning. Oh, got, nice. Yeah, I was like 280. <laughs> And I'll yes, tell you yes. so that's really good. I'm glad that you watched because that's why I made that reference. I think I said 285, so now we're at 290 or whatever. <laughs> well, it's great. I think every time I really love his Tyrus, the way he sells it. Every time he's got that look, and he's yeah, he's amazing. Like if you've watched this new season of Power, is 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 different. I mean, I think. I don't know if you follow Billy Corgan on social media, but he posted that he felt that this, with this locker room and this set of tapings, I'm going on and on with this large change, but this locker room, this set of tapings, that they've had the best, like, season of power filmed since the 80s and that's such mm. like a huge compliment to us as as performers but i say all that to say that it only gets better from here like it's i mean this season that we filmed is gonna be off the chart i don't know if you saw the first episode and just the way that tyrus reacted when i debuted the new uh oh, yeah gear, my new gear and he and he was you know he said you know what did he say he said you're like a you know a cold banana daiquiri on a hot summer's day everyone wants a sip just the way that he comes up with those things it's mm. so amazing yeah well i i think it was great about nwa power in particular too they're very good at just like it seems like they're being they're different you know what i mean it's like i like watching it because it's just a different vibe where i feel like it's very authentic and it's it's more it's very storyline based but storyline based like an authentic like you know like everything comes off a little realer like when aldous was champion it was a big fight feel now with trevor murdoch i feel like it's that every man's champion but everybody's got their own place and god i mean Working with Austin Idol, too, that's got to be a, a trip. <laughs> Dude, I mean, you couldn't have said it best. I mean, I think what the NWA is trying to accomplish is to provide a product that's just, you know, you have your WWEs, you have your AEWs, you know, you have all these companies on both sides of the spectrum. And NWA is like kind of right in this middle road right now. And I think the, the way that they do that so well is, you know, we're given creative freedom total freedom to paint on this canvas and the stuff that's developing from the main event scene to you know the people that are just up and coming like myself it's just been you know it's been a, a way to progress like naturally both professionally and personally you know on the camera so it's been it's been a good opportunity but man austin idol i love that man he's fantastic is he not the best I, he's, he's something else and, and what you see on camera is the exact same person in the locker room i mean that's exactly to speak to the authenticity this man is is just off the charts i love this i, I love austin idol he's fantastic now you know, you've been, you're working at a young age with some interesting people and we'll talk about billy corgan a bit too but i want to just back mm -hmm. up because Another guy that's pretty influenced wrestling that maybe he doesn't quite get his credit, Dave Marquez. Like, I feel like that's a guy you can tell me, but like when I listen to him, I feel like he teaches wrestlers and people more about the business of how to act professional, it seems like. What was your experience personally, though? Dave, you, Dave has been around the industry such a long time. 
and he's been on every side of the curtain, right? He's been in front of the camera. He's been behind the camera. Um, so he's seen it all and he's produced these shows. I mean, to think that even today, Dave has had a hand in producing MLW, New Japan Strong. I mean, going back to the old days of the NWA, I mean, you can't deny his his position in the industry. You're right. And he doesn't give enough get enough credit where credit's due. But to answer your question specifically, I'll give you an example. I watched these two guys have a tryout match before one of the Hollywood shows. And I watched the match and I watched Dave go up there and give some critiques. And the way that he like critiqued the match was so eye-opening, even for people that have been performing or people that have been performing for way longer than I have. And it's just the way that he can describe things and train people. It's 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 great. Yeah, he's been a, he's been great to work with. Yeah, yeah, he definitely seems like an influence. Now, how was I believe you trained with Carl Anderson and Ron Ruffin? Ruffin? Roger Ruffin. Yeah. Roger. Okay. Yes. So, what was how was like breaking in and training? Well, again, I count myself so fortunate because I've been so lucky to have some of the best people around me. I, I can't describe enough how much Roger had in shaping my my career and my personality too and having the northern wrestling federation the tradition behind that i mean we're talking about people like you said carl anderson abyss jillian hall all of these people came through the northern wrestling federation and they have passed their experience on to us as well and you don't have someone that's been running as consistently as roger has been for 20 plus years. I mean, like every single weekend, it's been insane. So I had a great upbringing there. You know, the golden boy came from there. I wasn't always the golden boy, but the the golden boy kind of came out of a, a play of who I became at the NWF and for the NWF. So great school. If you're in the area, I say go to the NWF. There isn't any better. Hmm. Now, you were you always a wrestling fan? Always, as in as a child, I, I I was a wrestling fan, but I wasn't born around wrestling. You know, I wasn't watching it from like two or three. Right, right. Uh, you know, I kind of discovered wrestling at maybe ten or eleven on my own type of a thing. Right. Yeah, I was wondering because I mean, you have other interests too. Yeah. Now, you're in uh, NPC. Now this is like a natural physique bodybuilding competition, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Now, how long have you been involved with that? So I. Found wrestling at like 11, and as any normal person does, they see that first match and they think, oh, wow, I want to do that, right? So that's Mm -hmm. what I want to do. And I thought to myself, well, what do I need? I can't go to wrestling school. I'm too young, but I can work out. And so my uncle kind of let showed me the ropes of, you know, lifting weights and taught me about bodybuilding. And so it was the only thing I could do to prepare. So I started, you know, working out and lifting weights and it kind of became more of a a love and a passion for me. So I always wanted to do bodybuilding and I never had the opportunity until I moved to California where I had a uh, local bodybuilding gym help train me and I got to compete in an NPC competition, uh, the West Coast out here, which is, you're right, National Physique Committee. Awesome. Awesome, man. And so... You're doing all that, and if you just look at your Twitter bio, I mean, you have a bachelor's in business, if I'm reading this right, and a master's in finance, but you're also, it says, you're going to, like, are you still going to school right now? Like, are you in the process? That's right. That's right. So what people don't realize is when I leave the NWA taping, I go home and do a paper, or I go home and do a quiz, because I'm currently in my master's program now, and, you know, it's... It's a labor of love. I went back. I wouldn't have gone back if I didn't love it, right? You know, I love learning. And so, you know, that's kind of my 
another passion of mine is just learning and self-development. I didn't need my master's. I, I saw an opportunity to go during COVID. And so I'll graduate next year. But yeah, I am in the process of obtaining master's. That's awesome, man. We were talking off air a little bit, like, you know, just balancing all this stuff. And you were saying one of the main things, too, is like if for those people who have a ton of stuff going on in their life, one of the best things and hardest things to do is just to remember to find time for yourself, right? <laughs> Right. You have to find time for yourself. I mean, you think about you have to have, you know, your personal life, your professional life and your social life. And you only have so much time to spend. But, you know, you you learn to make do. So, for example, like the NWA, you know, I'm able to work on the flight instead of sleep. You know, I might cost myself some hours of sleep, but, I, you know, I'll sleep for a couple hours when I get there. Or, you know, there's always that time before the show or after the show. If I don't you know, stay out and party as much that I can do a quiz or two, you know, before I do anything. Yeah, man. You know, it's funny. Like I said, you know, you got to work with some very interesting people. Now, I was really first started know you, noticing you at New Japan Strong. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Was that around the same time as the pandemic? Because I remember you were doing a lot of empty arena matches and stuff there, too. Yeah. So, I always say that, you know, I care for all the people that were lost during COVID. And, you know, a lot of people had it rough. But, Fortunately, again, I say fortunately because I, I count myself blessed, but COVID was a game changer for me. Right. It really was. The country shut down in March. The country kind of shut down in March. Yeah, and right. yeah, and I got the call to work for New Japan in June. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was like three months of rest that was probably much needed. Like we talk about making time for yourself. Right. And then now I get a consistent wrestling promotion that's New Japan mm -hmm. and in an empty arena during COVID. I mean, I, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't have fell into a better situation. Right. And so that's when I started with New Japan. And that's really when I got my first, I would say, true break, like, and, and getting ex that exposure was with New Japan. So, you know, they, they, they did me a solid there when I needed it the most. Absolutely. And I get that, you know, I'll just, I'll say this for personal experience too. Like I was telling you off here, I own a little business delivering bread. And my business jumped during COVID because people are just going to grocery stores now. You know, you're not going yeah. to. So there are, you know, I think the important thing is, too, it's like, you know, when you're given the ball, you know, it, you just run with it. Right. I mean, you have an opportunity. What are you going to do? Right. You're not going to not go out there and deliver the bread. Right. right. You know what I mean? You're, you're going to make the money while it's good. You're going to go to New Japan and take this opportunity. Absolutely. And and now, I mean, and I mean, that probably helped with NWA power, too. Now, you're, you know, they're seeing you. More eyes are on you. And great exposure right i think so i mean you know again covid in a way kind of had my effect on me joining power probably you know because they had to do a reset when the country shut down and right when they did the reset i would i had you know just had a match with nick aldis and right. that was like my so you know they probably knew about me at least around then covid happened but i didn't stop working i went and wrestled for new japan instead so you know kind of adding more stock right plan hopefully the stock is rising during covid but i mean it you know it all kind of happens for a reason i think and yeah. no story is ever the same you know you read all the stories no blueprint is ever the same on how people got anywhere right so it's kind of unique and i hope that you know it continues now let me ask you this too you said nick aldis there when you're wrestling a guy like an aldis obviously it, everybody's busy too sometimes during these things but when you have the opportunity do you try to get critique from a guy like that in your match, like afterwards, how does that, you know, typically work when you're wrestling a guy with that much experience? Right. I mean, I'm always looking for critique critiques because at the end of the day, am I going to be able to apply them all right away? No, probably not. But they all kind of sit and they kind of 
linger for a second and then something happens and you think, oh, you know, I put two and two together now. And so Nick, you know, when I wrestle at the NWA, my agents, I'm always asking the people at New Japan for critiques. Did you watch my match? And a lot of them or a good majority of them have set aside the time to watch my match and come give me critiques. And I think that's the most respect. I mean, that's, I, I couldn't ask, they shouldn't have to do that mm. because they're in a totally different position, but they're lending their knowledge and expertise. And I never take that for granted. I always tell those guys how much I appreciate them watching it and giving me feedback. Again, I'm not able to maybe process everything at that moment, but it all sits, you know what I mean? And the time's right. I think they, it, things start to make sense. Now, I was going to ask you what it's like to work with Billy Corrigan, but I see in the comments, we do have a question here too. Were you a fan of Billy Corrigan before even working with him? Oh, yes. Did Guitar Hero 2007. I mean, I think everybody played tonight. Like, <laughs> that's a great question, though. I mean, I, you know, I was a fan of uh, Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins. I'm all, I've been a rocker practically my whole life, except for when I was a kid. I liked country for a little bit, hmm. but I listened to a Linkin Park song and that became my favorite band. So I really just explored the genre. So I didn't know about Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins, but back to your question. I'm sorry. That's all right. So what's it like working with him now? I mean, at least on this side, you know, he's fantastic. I mean, he speaks all to, to the creative freedom of the NWA and he lets us be who we are meant to be and gives us again, the room to explore, but he's not afraid to approach us with ideas too. And the best part about Billy is that I think he understands what it's like to be, obviously he understands what it's like to be a performer. So as a performer or as somebody that has, uh, you know, tried to do both in front of the camera and behind the camera, I can appreciate that he lets us give feedback to and make suggestions, you know, because two minds are ultimately better than one. And so Billy really fosters that creative freedom, which I think is at the end of the day, probably one of the most valuable things in wrestling, even more than money, because if you're not having fun, then you know what difference does it make sure you can get any old job doing whatever, right? But you want to have fun and be able to make a living. Right. Absolutely. Me and my friends, we talk about this all the time too. Like you want a certain amount of money for security, but right. You like you, you mainly want to enjoy what you're doing too. Otherwise, what the hell? It sucks. Yeah, man. I'm that type of guy that's like, okay, I need to make X. And if I can do that, I don't care about anything else. You know what I mean? As long as I can cover my bases, like I'm okay. You know what I mean? I don't need to live this lavish lifestyle. I'm fine where I'm at, you know? So if I can have fun doing it, that's what really matters. Yeah. Is that what drove you to finances? Just trying to like, you know, manage things a little better? Or? Yeah. I mean, I knew. Two, with wrestling, you know, nothing's guaranteed in life. And I knew that I needed a backup plan. I wanted to be an attorney, but I decided that would require too much of a time commitment and take away from wrestling. So I had an internship at a financial firm and I've always been interested in money. You know, I've always had a knack for dealing with money. So uh, when I got into finance, it was just a natural kind of calling in a way. Mm -hmm. So finance comes easy to me, I feel like. And that's kind of why I pursued my master's as I continue to learn more. Because at the end of the day, if you know my, my dreams continue to come true as they have been, then I'll have to let finance go. But at least the knowledge that I learned can apply to my own life. You know what I mean? So it's never a loss there. Right. And in wrestling, I mean, it is, I mean, it's it's entertainment, but it's athleticism too. And, you know, they'll tell you there's a short window of being an athlete sometimes, right? I mean, wrestling, you can usually, especially if you got the verbal skills, you can make it last long, but there's no guarantees. You never know what's going to happen, so... Right. You don't know if you're going to get injured. You don't know if you're going to get, you know, a contract, if you're only going to make it to a certain level, you know, maybe you make it all the way and you only last a year. You know, there's been a lot of releases lately over the last 
two years that have turned a lot of people's heads, you know what I mean? Because you could be going from making money to making nothing, then what do you do? You know? And so that was my thought going into it. You know, as nerdy as I am, I decided to look up how to become a professional wrestler. And the biggest piece of advice I got was have a backup plan. So I thought that might be the best thing to do right away. That is a good And in the comments here, again, we got another question. What advice can you give to a person slash podcast to effectively maybe market themselves? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. I deal with, you know, marketing myself all the time. And I deal with getting a lot of requests from podcasts. So you know, I don't necessarily know what it's like to be a podcaster, but, you know, I think diversity in the people that you bring on helps expand the audience of your show. You know, being professional in the way that you outreach and your setup, you know what I mean? Like, as yeah. you said, we, you progress, you might not be there tomorrow, but, you know, you have to be progressing to that level, you know, and I think ultimately just staying consistent in what you do is going to reap some type of a reward at the end of the day, no matter what it is that you do. Absolutely. And yeah, I'll tell you this from personal experience too. And I, just from talking to wrestlers, we also interview comedians and stuff too. And I was telling someone about this day, one of the most common things is it's just a lot of stuff you do in your everyday life and your other jobs, like, you know, show up on time, you know, look professional, be, get right. along with people. Like these should be things that we practice every day anyway. Right. You're, you're right. No, you're right. And that's the same in wrestling. You know, how do you be a good wrestler? Well, showing up is half the battle. Showing up on time is another 25%. You know, can you show up? Can you be on time? Can you be and look and dress professional in the ring and outside of the ring? You know what I mean? How do you carry yourself? I'm not saying that you have to show up in a suit and tie every day, but, you know, at least have some wherewithal on what's going on like you would for any normal job. Right. Absolutely. Networking again to, yes. yeah, right. Surround yourself. With, that's what I was going to say. Surround yourself with positive people. But one thing too, I mean, again, this is just me, maybe me reading into it, but like the NWA also, it really feels like there's a team environment in there with Billy and everybody. Man, I can say that without a doubt, the NWA and New Japan locker rooms included are the best locker rooms I've ever been in. And it's just the amount of great people good brothers that are in those locker rooms are insane. You know, there's always a bad apple in every bunch, but man, I have yet to find a bad apple in either of those locker rooms. Maybe I haven't been around long enough, but they're just great, great, great people. Yeah. I can't say enough about it. It's, it's almost like leaving a family, like you're excited to go. And then when you leave, it kind of hurts. Cause you know, you don't get to see everybody for, you know, some time, just the way that, you know, we run the shows from pay-per-view to pay-per-view. So, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to have that kind of an experience. Absolutely. Now, with the bodybuilding and stuff like competition like that, is there a lot of interaction or maybe not so much because you're competing more there and like one-on-one -on -one type? Right. I mean, back in the lo the locker room is totally different. You know what I mean? The locker room is a different atmosphere. You have a lot of people that are trying to make it, you know, that are trying to place, that are trying to make it into the pro leagues, you know. And so I came at it from a different perspective. I never came at it from the idea that I wanted to necessarily peak compete competitively would i if i had the opportunity sure but you know i did my my competition and i had an absolute blast i mean i was dancing you know what i mean i was just a ball of energy because i didn't care about the outcome i wanted to do good you know what i mean I obviously didn't slack off going into it but you know fifth place first place would have been great but it doesn't make a difference to me hopefully next time when i do it maybe i'll climb in the ranking but the real fun is in working with the coach and the team 
you know, that's where you're pushing everybody else in the gym and elite fitness is where I, where, where I train at. They're just fantastic people. I mean, they know how to push you or make you suffer. Yeah, it's funny you say that, but even though it's like, it's not like obviously like, okay, suffering and physical, but it almost sounds like it's also kind of peace at times for you too. Like a kind of like it breaks away, right? Because you're not worried about if you're number one, you want to do your best, you're competing with yourself, mm-hmm. but this is also part of helping you with your other passion, which is wrestling, the look and everything. 100%, 100%. It has nothing to do with anybody else but myself, you know, at the end of the day, as selfish as that sounds, but I'm not competing for other people to look at me. I'm not competing to, you know, to beat somebody else that's in the gym. I'm competing to be the best version of myself. And I think that's the type of competitiveness that I have in all the situations. I just constantly want to be a better version of myself, whatever that means improving on, you know, disregarding every everything else that's happening around me. I don't know if that's the right way to go about it, but that's certainly like where my head's always been at. Well, then we're both wrong because I understand. <laughs> yeah, so there's two of us then. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, there's definitely things where you got to like, other people involved and stuff but like for some of these like i would say for something like that you know like it's that's an individual goal and and it sounds good to me man i definitely think your head's in the right place it sounds like you got good people surrounding you and you keep busy i mean i am how so you're you're graduating in 2022 if all goes well yeah so i finished my semester this year so i'll graduate in december of next year or or january whenever they do their 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 graduation but then i'll be done so i've got one year left i think i can make it pray for me though we'll see what <laughs> we'll see what covid decides for us next year oh yeah i know and that that's one thing you definitely covid has shown us like you can't take anything from granted you never know what's going to happen next for sure no they just put the the mask mandates back in here in california so you know, it's kind of like, is it going back to the, the you know, is are we going to open up or are we not going to open up? You know, right. it makes me worried about wrestling because I just got assimilated to wrestling back in front of crowds and now to do mm-hmm. a rent the arenas, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, you've had some, getting back to NWA for a minute too, you definitely have like a, a great locker room there. We've had, I think Tim Storm was on here before. Oh, yeah. You guys, both of you, like you show up a few minutes early. It's like very noticeable. Not everybody does that. Sure. <laughs> no, I understand. Yeah. yeah. Salvinaro too. He was another one that was on here and he was like a few minutes early. So. You said Salvinaro? Yeah, Sal. That was great too. He's such a, he's so knowledgeable when it comes to professional wrestling. Like there's always something that I learned from Sal at every, at every, at every show. And then Tim Storm has been fantastic. I got to wrestle Tim. He's just the nicest person. Like, I've I feel like I've earned the moniker just basically the nicest guy in wrestling, but <laughs> I think Tim might have me beat. He's fantastic. <laughs> you guys are neck and neck. He's definitely good <laughs> ones too. Now, so you were also part of was it was it just Talking Shop Mania too? Were you part of that? Yes, I was. I'm. Yes, I was part of Talking Shop Mania too. I did have a cameo under a different character called the Zombie, and yes. I ate a couple people. I'm pretty sure, and then wrestled Taya Valkyrie, Valkyrie, excuse me, as yeah. a zombie. <laughs> what is that experience like? Now? There's some good. There's some big names on that set. There, you got guys like Teddy Long walking around and stuff too. Right, right. It was just the most ridiculous thing you could imagine, and it's exactly filmed that way, but. You know, I was so glad to ask to be a part of the second one because I had a blast. It was so fun filming that. Everyone was laid back. Everyone was cool. You know, we all knew it was ridiculous, but, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, we could have fun with it. And I think it's a good comedy. Like, it's just, yeah. It, I hope I'm invited for Talking Shut Mania 3. If there's going to be a third one, I want to be there for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's great. You're getting out there, pushing just, again, you're meeting some of the other guys and stuff too. And 
right. all working right. Maybe you get a date here or something there to show. Or, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's always tough to get your name out there, like in network, like you said, but just being seen, being seen, but being unseen, you know, being there, but not being, you know, uh, a pest yeah. is, is, is like the, the golden, you know, the golden rule for that. I feel like. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we used to have a saying, I like managed at a grocery store for a while. And I remember the guy who was like the head manager, he said, he's talking about somebody. He's like, did they work for us before? I was like, yeah, you don't remember. No, they were never a problem. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> exactly. always remember the people who are a problem. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And man, some of them might be good wrestlers, but hopefully if they want to build a good locker room, they'll be like, oh yeah, that one, he was pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now yeah. you're already, you know, accomplished a lot in young career. You're working hard still, you know, what's your goals in the next year? Obviously graduating. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. I've been asking myself that a lot. You know, I said at the end of 2020, I did a podcast and on that podcast, I said, I'm going to the NWA next year. And I didn't even know that they were restarting at that time. You know, I said, I'm that's where I belong. Like, it just makes sense for me to be there. My style, my character, everything that I have loved about wrestling is basically the NWA. And, you know, it came to fruition. So I'm trying to think of, you know, what I need to put into next year. So it also comes into fruition. I think the biggest thing that I would like is just to wrestle more uh, and whatever form that might take wrestle more with nwa wrestle more with new japan you know um wrestle more independence across the country you know i don't know i would just like to wrestle more i've had a pretty good year this year but uh you know uh, i'm ready to take it up a notch now one thing you're very busy and obviously you're wrestling too and I, i'm sure you watch your stuff and everything how much wrestling do you get to watch i, I bet you keep up with it obviously but like you know are you able to watch like you know, wrestling. Yes. I, um, I make time for it much like you have to make time for everything else. You know, when I was a child, it was not even a question, you know, I was there the last five minutes of NCIS. So I could watch the beginning of raw, like every time, like, I can't tell you, I've seen an NCIS start to finish, but I can sure tell you the finish of every single episode, like for a thousand episodes straight, probably not that much, but, um, but I have to make time for it, you know, but I love wrestling. So it's never something that is laborsome. You know, I just, Man, I just torture everybody that I'm with. You know, the other day I watched like four hours of The Rock, just The Rock playlist on the network. Yeah. I just burned through four hours and I just heard everybody around me watch it. I did the same thing with Randy Orton too. I watched like four hours of Randy Orton like in 2000s, like awesome. or like in the 2000 to 2000 like seven era. So, um, so there's that. And then, you know, I always love going back and watching NWA too. I watch a lot of old, mm. you know, NWA, a lot of my gear was inspired from the NWA, my jacket, Kerry Von Eric, Yellow Rose of Texas, um, from his championship match with Ric Flair, who's also kind of inspired by my jacket as well, and my ring gear. Um, and just the style that I, I chose to go with overall matches that era. And I like that. So doing that. And then I try to catch some AEW and some other independent wrestling in Ring of Honor. I don't have like all the subscriptions, so I don't know where to watch everything. There's just so much. But I, I watch wrestling. It's just not as consistent. Like, you know, I know what's going on every, you know, every episode of every show, if that makes sense. Right. I NWA New Japan. I could probably tell you what's going on. There. Of course. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stay on top of your own product. Absolutely. Yeah, I, say, I, could, I could tell you exactly what's going on in the NWA in New Japan. But outside of that, you know what I mean? Like, I couldn't tell you what happened, like, maybe last Monday on Raw. But I maybe saw the highlights. I'm not sure. <laughs> 
Did, did you get to uh, talk it up with Ric Flair at all, or at least say hi or anything? Yeah, a like little that? bit, a little yeah. bit, yeah, yeah, a little bit. I've gotten to meet him before, though. That's not my first oh. time meeting Ric Flair. He does okay. not remember me ever, but there was a time where I met Ric Flair in the middle of nowhere, Kentuckyville, where I wrestled a match for a fair. It was just so backwards. I met Al Snow there randomly. <laughs> um, uh, Ric Flair was there signing autographs randomly. Like it was the most random thing ever. And I couldn't even tell you what city it was in because I don't even think it was a city. I think it was just like a town somewhere. Did you get to ever work with Al or near him at all? Al Snow? I got to work near Al. I never got to work with Al. Um, but uh, he's he's so knowledgeable, man. Like he's I so I never got to work for OVW. And when I was in Ohio training, OVW wasn't really that active. So or at least I didn't wasn't aware of what was going on. So I never worked for them. And then I leave and then they get bought out. And now there's you know, he's turning it into, you know, a much different product. And it looks extremely well and he's going out there and he's meeting people and you see him on camera so he's making his rounds so i think it would be great to have learned from al you know i'm, I'm sad that i didn't get the chance while i was there yeah, no i don't ask because yeah he is we had him on once a couple years ago when we were starting which we were so lucky to get alec in the beginning of this we didn't even understand how lucky we were <laughs> and um i ended up just doing some research and even afterwards seeing other interviews with him and like such a like you learn from that guy just by listening to interviews with him it's like wow that's perspective i never even thought about right yeah. right no he he was a wealth of knowledge that night he actually had given the main event some critiques that i still remember to this day even though i somewhat make the same mistake from time to time <laughs> um but it still sits in my memory so you know it's not um i've learned some stuff from al third hand uh but you know we've had a couple conversations but i would have it would have been great to have at least worked for him a couple times. You know what I mean? Yeah, thousand percent. Now, yeah. Jordan, uh, we went about a little over a half hour. So, how about this? You got anything you want to promote coming up, or even just social media? Tell people. Sure. So everything is at Clear Like Water, which is what I signed in as my name right here. Everything: Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. It's all there. But the one thing I do want to promote, I don't promote enough about myself or my t-shirts that you can get at newjapanshop.com. I don't promote all of that stuff, but what I want to promote though is I joined Cameo um, for, for a little time. I've never done anything like it. And I joined Cameo because I'm donating all the proceeds from now until Christmas to uh, the Paul's Animal Shelter in Chicago. And that's actually something that uh, Billy helped get us set up for, um, Corgan. And he's joining Cameo for a limited period of time. But I've always loved animals. I'm a big, big, big fan of no kill shelters. And so I just wanted to go the next, the next extra step and do it as well. So, you know, if you've ever wanted to get a holiday message from me or talk to me or chat me at hundred percent of the proceeds go to a great cause. That's awesome, man. That's yeah. a, a great way to end it. Uh, Jordan, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Yeah. And I wish you nothing, but, um, 300%. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. It was, I had fun. Thank you. All right. So that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google 
Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week.